could you uh, describe the premise of uh, The Man Who Feels No Pain and how you came up with the idea? Yeah, so it's literally about a man who can't feel pain and it's a homage to all the martial art films that I've seen as a kid with my grandpa. So basically it's a love story with martial arts and my grandfather and uh, the, the place where I grew up. So it's the fictional autobiographical me kind of being forced into a martial arts film. everybody, welcome back to a brand new episode of Not A Bomb Podcast. We are continuing our journey in Indian cinema. Brad, Indian, you... Indian cinema. Indian not cinema. specifically Bollywood no. or Tollywood or not anything going, like that. We're not going You're down not that path. not going to mess that up. Oh, Twitter Ooh. will let you know. <laughs> wow, Troy, you broke the internet. I did. Um, that voice you just heard. So we were super blessed last week to get our our friend Josh from Screen Anarchy, who is our our expert. I mean, well, not our expert, but I guess he's probably the expert uh, of the United... I'm going to say United States. You are the expert of the United States at this point. Um, because every time I turn, your, your screen quote is on some cover of some Indian film. And, and I personally uh, kind of follow you to pick out the ones I'm going to watch. So we, we were super excited to get you back here, Josh. Thank you for, for doing week two and kind of guiding us on this journey. My, my pleasure. Absolutely. Yeah, th- this has been fun. And we've gotten so much great feedback on that episode. It got to the point where one of our uh, guests that we have on a regular basis had reached out and said, hey, uh, I really want to be on this week's show because they had never watched Indian cinema before. So they were like Brad a week ago. Now, Brad is, I don't know if he's a veteran, but he's now dipped his toes in that with uh, last week's Saho. That was his pick. But we get to welcome back Jose. And Jose, this this was your first Indian film, correct? Was, absolutely. That blows my mind. Considering how many movies you've seen, and especially your love of action cinema, and, and I kind of think... India is where it's at uh, in the last few years. This was your 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 first Indian film. It was, and I um, after I had seen this, I actually went back and tried to find a couple of like classic Indian cinema movies to watch, just to sort of like dive in. And I have no idea why it's been a blind spot because the movies are fantastic. Yeah. Well, listen, if you're going to start with one. This is the one to do it. So many moons ago, I had been reading online about uh, TIFF coverage, and specifically 2018. And there was a film, and Josh, help me out here. It had screened at the midnight screening for for TIFF. Is that right? Yes, it was part of the Midnight Madness section. What what is the different? Like, what is Midnight Madness specifically for the Toronto International Film Festival? So Midnight Madness at Toronto is their specialty genre section. So that's where the crazy horror action, uh, not necessarily the, the, the weird films. They have another section that's, that's more for that. Uh, but uh, horror action films, it's where, it's where movies like The Raid got their start. Um, it's where like 
the Halloween remake had its premiere. Uh, those type of films are the films that typically at uh, Gaspar Noé's climax. A lot of those films uh, screen in the Midnight Madness section uh, in at Toronto. Okay, and there's a special award for those films too, right? Outside of right. outside of the regular um, awards. Okay. Yes. So 2018, uh, I, I run across this article, and it's about a film that the international title is called The Man Who Could Feel No Pain. So I, I read this entire article, and I have not been that stoked to watch a film in a long time. But you you listen to the premise, and, and you hear this person's reaction to it. And all of a sudden, I was, I was scribbling this down on a piece of paper, and I was fervently watching, when is this sucker going to hit? And lo and behold, it hits as a Blu-ray release over in Asia. Uh, and specifically, I think that I picked it up from like yesasia.com. And so that is how I ended up finding this thing. As soon as it uh, hit my doorstep, watched it that evening, and it became sort of an, an instant favorite of mine. And I'm just going to show all my cards right now. I absolutely adore this film. So when Brad suggested we were going to each pick a film from India, and he picked Saho. There was no other movie for me to pick except for this one, because I feel like a, just nobody knows about it, which to me is a terrible atrocity in in terms of the film world. Um, now, Josh, you the first time you saw this was at TIFF, right? Because the article I'm talking about was your article, and I and I feel like your article is is the one that got a lot of coverage over this film. Uh, it was, it was in association with TIFF. So I wasn't there at the festival, but, um, actually my, my association with the film goes back a little bit further. Uh, the director of Vassenbala is a friend of mine. Um, and so, and Peter Kaplowski, who, who is the programmer at Midnight Madness is also a friend of mine. We worked together with Fantastic Fest in Austin and uh, we'd been sort of going back and forth about about the film for a few months ahead of time. Uh, he saw it before I did. He programmed it. It was you know it was wonderful. And uh, it's uh, the Midnight Madness section at TIFF had been hoping to have a film from India that would fit with their program for years. And I every year uh, because kind of you know of what my specialty is i would get emails and messages from the team uh at the festival asking me what was new what i had seen you know what would be good for them and uh this was the one that landed like this is the one that really really worked out for everyone um and so yeah i i did finally see it uh somewhere between uh somewhere in the summer of 2018 and then when it was programmed there i was very excited because i one of the dangers of being both a critic and a programmer is you want to kind of keep keep your distance from things that you are associated with in a programming capacity so that you don't, you know, tip your hand or, you know, there's no conflict of interest or whatever. But I had zero, you know, uh, uh, conflict with this film. It was just a movie that I really loved and I wasn't programming it anywhere. And so I was excited to be able to write about it um, at the time. Yeah, it, it's a fantastic review. Um, now, Brad, Jose, have you ever heard about this film before we brought it up for this show? Absolutely not. Okay. Nope. Not at all. Not at all. All right. Not at all. 
Uh, well, let's let's get into this because uh, I cannot wait to hear your guys' reaction to this. I, I know where Josh falls on this one because I've read his review. It's public domain at this point. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, and I have a ton of questions for for Josh too because I know you you know Vasan, um, and I've spent all week just watching interviews with him uh, and the cast as well. Of all the films that I've run across, it, it's amazing to me. Indian Indian cinema so far between Saho and this one, I'm really amazed how much stuff is on YouTube of behind the scenes about these two films. Um, but even when this got released, um, I, I guess it was from a, a an Asian distribution on Blu-ray. It, it just didn't have any special features, which is a crime to me. Like if you're if you're looking for something that you should just do commentary and behind the scenes and how did they do things to me, this is a film that, that deserves that, but we're going to get into that, especially in front of the camera, behind the camera, Brad, you always start with the financials and some of the reviews. So let's kick it over to you. How did this thing do on release? Well, Troy, not well, Okay. Um, no one actually saw this movie. Um, I had to do some, some calculating here. So I, I think my math is right, but if I'm off, it still is a bomb regardless of what I say. Um, it looks like the budget was about 1.5 million um, US dollars. And I have the box office total as $161,000. $161,000. Um, yeah, not not great. That um, is, that I I can't wrap my head around that. Now I know, I know. I know it's got a Netflix deal. Um and Josh, I'm going to defer to you. You you say the title the title way better. I can't even say the word title. You say the <laughs> word the the title so much better. Um so if you're searching for this on Netflix, it's streaming on Netflix. What do you have to type in? Uh it's under Mar de Codard Nahi Hota. That is uh it's basically man who feels no pain. It's the same same words in, in Hindi. Okay. Okay. Um, but I will say critically, and I believe Josh is one of them, um, sits at a 94% on Rotten Tomatoes with 18 reviews and sits at a 79% with the audience with over 50, which is criminally too low for this movie to be yes. at 79%. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know. Um, anyway, Josh said this got a TIFF release in 18 um, in September of 18, um, it was released kind of, I would say wide quote unquote, not really wide, but got a release, uh, March of 2019. Um, and here are some other films that came out that month. We have the beach bomb, which is also a big bomb. Um, we have Dumbo and, uh, that movie triple threat, which should have been way better than it should have been. Yep. I agree. And the big one, we have us, Jordan Peele's us. So that is pretty much it. Okay. Now, I, we were talking about this before the show, Josh. I had read somewhere that one of the things that held this back was there were some problems with the distribution in its home country. So I guess, and you hadn't mentioned this. I, I didn't even think about this. You had said something about like 2,000 movies are released annually from like the overall industry. So- it's very important for these films to get some theater time, right. In order to make its money back. I don't think this one got it because there was something going on with its distribution or it just didn't get into a bunch of theaters. Is that typical for, for a, a, a film of this size or budget? Uh, it can be, I mean, uh, the, the budget is not, it's, it's a sort of medium budget over there. You know, $1.5 million is not nothing, but it's also, 
Uh, if you look, when we'll talk about this later, if you look at the cast, there's not a whole lot of huge stars in the cast, um, which is one of the driving forces of the box office in India is, is recognizable names uh, in the cast. Uh, also, this film, because it didn't have those recognizable names, did not get a lot of overseas distribution. And so a lot of times when the big Hindi films release, they'll release worldwide simultaneously. And this one did not get a U.S. release in theaters um, and that's, that's unfortunately not uncommon. I mean, even a film like, uh, Gangs of Wasipur, uh, which was a big art house hit and another, uh, uh, Cannes film festival selection. It made a lot of best of lists for the year, did not get a U.S. release in theaters until three years after it premiered in India. And so there are a lot of, a lot of factors that go into, you know, securing screens, uh, for these films. Okay. I guess that makes sense. Now, if if that much product is being released on an annual basis and you primarily covering a lot of that for Screen Anarchy, like how many films do you watch in a week? Uh, back in the day, it would have been a lot more. Uh, you know, at this point, it's, it's tapered off a little bit. Um, but this week, for example, I have two major releases that I'm covering uh, in theaters for the Austin Chronicle. Um, there's, there's a major Indian film release pretty much every week. So if I weren't covering, if I were only covering Indian films, if that's all that I ever wrote about, I could be busy every single weekend. Okay. And that's true. You, you do a lot more than just Indian films, but I, I feel like that's where a lot of your articles end up circulating. Um, so, but including Indian films, how much, how much are you doing between the Austin Chronicles, Screen Ar- Anarchy, et cetera? It depends. I mean, I, I, my reviews for a year typically end up somewhere in between, uh, you know, around 150, 100 to 200 or something. Um, it, it, it depends, you know, festivals definitely pad those numbers. So, you know, I was at South by Southwest for four days and I ended up writing 15 reviews for films. So that's, that's a whole other situation as apart from regular theatrical releases. Uh, but then, as a programmer and a programming consultant, I watch a lot of movies that I just don't talk about because they're not going to be a part of a program that I'm actually putting together. Uh, and a lot of them are not very good. So okay. <laughs> there's, there's no point in kicking a film when it's down. If the film doesn't have, uh, doesn't have distribution already, then I'll just kind of keep my mouth shut for the most part. Okay. I don't, between the job that the family, I don't know when you sleep, dude, I, I just, I, I feel exhausted just listening to your schedule. But listen, <laughs> let's let's talk about the people behind the camera first. Um, and we'll start with the director, uh, Vasan Bala. So I'm going to kick this over to you, Josh. He has a pretty short filmography as a director. It seems like he has a little bit more notoriety for a screenplay. But do you kind of want to walk us through him as, a, I guess, a director and screenwriter? So he, he is credited for both director and screenwriter on this. There's a, three other people... And you have to help me out here, Josh. They're noted on IMDb as um, three folks for lyrics. I guess that's to the music, but he's primarily the single writer for for the film script itself, right? Correct. Yeah this this is this is his baby. Um, and uh, Vasan uh, sort of he he he's part of the uh, small sort of independent crew uh, of filmmakers who were sort of leaning more toward 
uh, independent style films in the you know late 2000s, early t- 2010s with filmmakers like Anurag Kashyap, who's again one of the biggest indie uh, filmmakers out of India, and one of the most well respected. You know, every pretty much every film that he makes ends up in in Cannes. Um, and he was a screenwriter for uh, for Anurag on films like Bombay Velvet, which was not another box office bomb, but you know, on reappraisal has gotten a lot more attention. Um, and he also, uh, directed a film in 2012, I believe called Peddlers, which, uh, played at, it was in this, it was in the selection, uh, at Cannes the same year as Gangs of Wasipur was. And there were a couple of other films that were there at the same time, uh, that we were saying right before we started recording that, uh, Peddlers was purchased by, uh, a studio in India and then more or less buried and is still doesn't have a proper release. Um, and so it's kind of funny that, uh, about a a couple of years ago, I was going through, you guys at home can't see this behind me is my, my video collection, uh, in the zoom chat and a small section of it is just screener discs from the olden days when it wasn't all Vimeo links or whatever online, they would actually have to like FedEx you dicks discs to watch. And a couple of those are, you know, one of them is peddlers that I saw back in 2012. Um, and I, I posted a picture of it because I was trying to make everyone online jealous because no one can actually watch this movie. <laughs> and I have a copy of it. And, uh, you know, the jokes were made. They're like, why don't you just anonymously leak it onto the Internet so that somebody can see this movie? Um, and so is it, is it common for films to get buried, so to speak, like like you're saying? Sorry to interrupt. I, oh, no, it just seems weird to me that, you know. It, it wouldn't get distributed. It, it got buried, quote unquote, you know? It's not uncommon at all. Um, a, a lot of the films do do get purchased and then they can't find a way to market them. So they just don't bother. It's it's kind of unusual, especially these days where at least, and it's not great, but at least uh, content providers like Netflix, Amazon Prime will buy up huge swaths of films and then they may dump them you know, without much fanfare onto their services, but at least they're there. So people who know can spread the word and there can be a grassroots thing behind it. And if it's good enough, then it can be discovered. But with the way that something like Peddlers was purchased, uh, it's purchased by an Indian entity and then it's not given even that opportunity to be discovered at a grassroots level. It just kind of disappeared. Um, And one of the first things uh, the, that night, one of the first things that I saw when I uh, went to India on my honeymoon in 2016, uh, again, before the podcast, we were talking about how I was there on my honeymoon. And the, the night that I was there, they were having the cast and crew screening for one of Anurag Kashyap's films. Vasanbala was there at the screening because he's part of the team. Like oh. he's part of the, the whole team that's involved with all of that stuff. And, um, you know, <laughs> it's, and I met with with him and said hi to him, and I it didn't really connect who he was at the time because it was very overwhelming the whole situation. But a few days later, I was at Anurag Kashyap's offices at uh, Phantom Films, which is who who made Raman Raghav and a couple of other films, and they were in the process of building him an office in the building <laughs> to make his next martial arts movie, which would turn out to be the Man Who Feels No Pain. Um, that was eventually produced by another producer because Phantom had some issues of its own and, and went under. Um, but like it was, it was in the works even back then in 2016. 
Wow. Yeah, he's uh, so I was looking at his credentials from the screenplay. So you talked about Bombay Velvet. Uh, IMDb listed as Psycho Ramen um, from 2016. And we were talking about this. Apparently, it's a thriller serial killer film. Yes. Okay. Based on an actual serial killer in in Bombay in the 60s. Uh, Psycho Ramen is the international title. Uh, Raman Raghav 2.0 is the Indian title because he's well known over there with, by that name. Okay. And then uh, outside of this one, The Man Who Can Feel No Pain, there's his latest one from last year is on Netflix called 83. And it looks like a traditional sports film just based around cricket, right? Yeah, it's a cricket drama. Okay. But it has it has big stars in it. It was it was a big it would have been a big blockbuster in a normal non-pandemic situation. Okay. Makes sense. Uh now the cinematography is done by um J.I. Patel. Are you familiar with his work, Josh? I I looked I'm at his not. filmography and I nothing really came to mind. No, nothing nothing really stood out uh from him. Okay. For me. Here's here's where it gets interesting. So stunts Eric Jacobus is an action director and fight choreographer. Okay. Now he's done a lot of motion capture for video games and film. He's directed a ton of shorts. Uh, he has a lot of credentials from stunt work. Jo um, Jose, are you familiar with Eric? So um, I wasn't until I looked him up and I realized he was associated with one of my favorite stuntmen, Clayton Barber, Clay Barber. I've been obsessed with Barber's career as like a stuntman, a stunt coordinator since I, discovered he doubled Robin in Batman and Robin and uh, uh, the villain in Blade, um, Stephen Dorff. Uh, okay. he, he was the Stephen Dorff double. But Clay Barber is a big martial artist, and he and Mr. Jacobus, who, I don't know, Mr. Jacobus, I guess that's how they how he pronounces his name. He reminds me of, like, like Scott Adkins's cuter American brother. Like he has like that look if you, if you're trying to envision him. Um, but the two of them have collaborated and some of their short films are actually on YouTube. I don't know if you caught any of those Rope-A-Dope, Rope-A-Dope 2. Those were their most famous ones. And then they just released a 45 minute one with Ron Yoon called um, the game blindsided about like a, a blind martial artist. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. It's pretty, it, it's fantastic. He's a great stunt person. Um, I remember reading an interview with uh, Pratik Parma, who was the action coordinator for this film. Um, and, you know, he goes more into the process of how, like, he had brought them in to do these stunts. But if you read other articles, they they mentioned that they were, like, plucked from YouTube. So it kind of it kind of creates this notion, like, they were watching YouTube and there was some influencer and they were just like, hey, come do our stunts. But you know, they have the the backing behind it, Jacobus, and there's another gentleman that that worked with them as well. Oh, um, we'll talk about Troy, him in a second. Should, yeah. <laughs> well, I was gonna say you should know them from Unlucky Stars, which yep. you turned me on to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So you've already talked about uh Pratik Parma. Um, he's done stunt work in about 10 Indian films, but the person I want to take a second and talk about is Dennis Rule. So fight choreographer, fight coordinator for this film. What everybody needs to do right now, stop listening. But before you stop listening, just write this down real quick. I need you to go to goldninjavideo.com and you're looking for a Blu-ray called Unlucky Stars. Now, if that title sounds kind of familiar and you love Hong Kong action, then you'll know that's kind of a callback to the Sammo Hung, Jackie Chung, Yim Bu, like Lucky Star films. Dennis 
uh, he's worked on Wolf Warrior Two with uh, Jing Wu, um, Close Range from 2015, which is an amazing Scott Atkins film. But Unlucky Stars is something that I discovered because Gold Ninja Video is a distributor, I think, out of Canada. And they are finding just these rare films and they're putting them out on Blu-ray and they're trying to do the best they can uh, from a special, you know, special edition perspective. So they put booklets in there. They only make so many copies. They have a ton of martial arts films. But once they sell out, they usually sell out. And they released a film called Unlucky Stars. I watched the trailer to it. and I'm like, wow, this looks really interesting. But Dennis is the director. He wrote the screenplay. He stars in it. He did the fight choreography and the stunts for this film. It is absolutely fantastic. And when you watch The Man Who Could Feel No Pain and you look at the martial arts choreography in that and you like it, you are going to love Unlucky Stars. It's so good. And Jose, have you finally watched it now? Yeah, yeah. Boom. Mind blown. I loved it. I loved it. And Sam, and Sam Har- Hargrave was in it. I'm a huge Sam Hargrave fan. So um, he's he's also a stunt person. He was one of the Captain America stunt doubles. Yes. He stunt coordinated Atomic Blonde, directed Extraction, just wrapped Extraction 2. Um, so, yeah, he was even in King of Fighters, which is a terrible film. But the martial arts is actually not bad. It's just shot badly. But yeah. Yeah. And De- Dennis spent a while on this film. But imagine Dennis just getting his his martial arts buddies and his stunt folks together and really making a love letter to 80s and 90s Hong Kong film. They even found a white guy that kind of looks like Sammo Hung, who's sort of heavyset and can move like Sammo Hung, and it's fantastic. Um, Brad, Josh, have you, have you heard about this film, Unlucky Stars? I have Bro, not. You bought, it, you bought it for me. You sent it to my house. Oh, I did send it to your house. <laughs> have you watched it yet? Yes, of course. Okay, good, good. <laughs> yes. Did you like he it? Also did, he also did the stunts for Sorry to Bother You, and I'm, not, I'm trying to think the stunts in that movie. I think he just had the guy's punch a horse at the very end of that movie. And that's about it. Sorry. Yeah. Spoiler alert yeah. for sorry to bother you. Oh. But, uh, no, unlucky stars is amazing. It's yeah. Yeah. Josh, watch that movie. You'll like it. Trust me. I'll get on it. Yeah, you have to. And and if you sit on it too long, then I'm just going to send you a copy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I buy like 10 of them. I was just handing them out like to everybody, because as soon as I watched this thing, I went right back to the website. I'm like, I'm going to grab 10 more and just give them to people that I know who like this kind of film. Uh, it was just passing people on the street like here, take one. You'll it like is. It. Mm-hmm. I would love to sit down and talk with Dennis. He, he's. I, if you watch interviews with him and stuff like that, he knows what he's doing. But what I what I love about um, his work specifically is he he knows his Hong Kong films and where he's pulling inspiration from. He's not just trying to copy it, but he adds a twist to it. And when you watch Unlucky Stars and um, Jose Brad, you'll know what I'm talking about. There's a sequence kind of in the middle of the film that I think takes place in a church. I, I watched that thing like 10 times in a row because I could not believe a body could move that way and kick somebody in the face the way that they did it. It was it's spectacular. I mean, this guy should be bigger and be getting um, a lot more work. But that's my biggest question is why are these guys not <laughs> bigger in, in the you know domestic industry? But yeah. I, I don't know, man. Um, so let's talk about the people in front of the camera. Uh, and we're going to talk about Dasani. So, uh, Josh, you want to you want to help me with the pronunciation uh, pronunciation here? So, oh, Abimanyu Dasani uh, is plays the lead of Surya, Abi, yep. um, for short, make it easier for everyone. Surya. Um, yep. And then uh, we have Radhika Madan, who plays uh, Supri in the film. Those are the two leads. 
Um, and then the sort of not unsung because he won a lot of awards uh, for the film, but like the sort of the, the second tier hero of the film is uh, Gulshan Devaya, who plays uh, Jimmy and Karate Mani uh, in, in a dual role. He is just absolutely fantastic chewing scenery left and right in this movie. <laughs> you, you know how many times I had watched this film before I realized that was the same person. I watched yeah. this sucker three times in a row and did not know that was the same actor until I saw an interview and she asked him, what was it like, you know, doing both roles? I'm like, what this lady's on crack. What's she talking about? <laughs> and then I go to IMDb and I'm like, shut the front door. He played both of those parts. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. And honestly, one of the, if, if nothing else, his wig as Karate Mani in this film oh, yes. deserves the credit of its own. It is fantastic. It's based on Jack Burton from Big Trouble in Little China. Which makes sense because that's one of the VHS tapes <laughs> yep, in yep. the film. Wow. Yes. Yeah, Josh, you were, Josh, you had said this, uh, I think, in the other episode. Um, the uh, Indian films, there is a, a his sort of a storied history of actors playing double and triple roles and you know, uh, that kind of thread through a lot of those films, right? That is correct. Uh, typically speaking, they don't play both a hero and a villain in the same film, though. So that's pretty interesting that's as new. far as this Got one it. goes. Yeah. Yeah. D- Dasani has an interesting, uh, I-, I guess, career leading up to this. He was an assistant director before starring in this film. This was his first starring film, which blew my mind because uh, we're, we're going to talk about the performances. And... Um, Radhika Madan as Supri, I think she had two films come out the year. She has, she's a relative newcomer. She's been in some films before that. This wasn't her first. This was the first film that she shot. Um, oh, okay. It was not the first film to be released. Okay. Uh, there was another film that was released around the same time as a uh, man who feels no pain uh, hit Tiff. There was another film that was released. Pataka? That she was in. Yeah. Yeah. That one, that one came out actually before this, but it was shot after. Oh, okay. I, I thought it was the reverse. Okay. And an interesting story about her. So she did not uh, watch any action films, was not interested in that genre whatsoever. Got a hold of the script, was it was attracted to the character, and then did eight months of training, um, specifically in Jeet Kune Do. And, and apparently, Bala had her watching like Kung Fu films every day. And now she's like an action film junkie. So you should go watch some interviews with her. She's she's so charming. But to hear her talk about the making of this film, it, it's awesome. It's out there on YouTube. Yeah, there, I think I read that. I think I read that Pratik Parma said that, uh, you know, he wanted to create separate styles for each of the characters. And particularly for her, I, I think she they said that she was able to really pick up a lot of the the physicality of it. And then they were just feeding her like action movies like every day to watch and um, she loved it because it would, you know, she would watch like Cynthia Rothrock and some, you know, some of these other action um, females, Michelle Yeoh, and it would really put her in her frame, in the frame of mind when they would call action. And she's like, okay, I'm channeling these people now. And it really comes out in her performance. I mean, it's, it's a, a really great kick-ass role. She's an Indian Moon Lee. She is, hands down. Yeah. She's fantastic. <laughs> And Josh, I know now I know why you watch a lot of Indian film because the Indian women are amazing looking. These women are 10 out of 10s, man. They're stellar. There are a lot of very pretty Indian women. 
Yeah, for sure. Good um, even the men, even the men too. Well, I, oh, yeah. I was gonna say just <laughs> Sonny. Good lord. Oh yeah. I mean, his hair is blowing in slow motion. Oh. I was like, swoon. Oh, there are there are apparently fans in every room pointing in every direction in India. If you watch enough film, everyone's <laughs> hair is flowing all the time. Um, and I just right before we started recording, I posted because uh uh one of my friends hosted the US premiere of the film here, and so I got to do uh, the introduction, the Q and A with with Avi and with Vasan um, for the film here, and I mean they're just super charming guys, like both of them. Um, Avi uh, uh, is the son of a of a Bollywood actress who you know was was pretty active in the eighties and nineties, uh, and so he's kind of grown up knowing how to deal with media, and so he's very charming in that regard. Uh, just just being aware of of how to act, and it's he's just a super nice guy. Like, and it's always nice when you, when you come across these people uh, who are in these things that you love, where the person is actually a solid human being and not just a dickhead, you know, and he's not a dickhead. <laughs> oh, those, those know? come through in the interviews. Like I, I yeah. just enjoyed watching him. Um, Radhika uh, Vasan specifically has a couple of good, um, unfiltered, like director's cut interviews that they put out on YouTube that are, that are really insightful. Um, I, I mean, he, in a couple, I, th I think it was, there was a TIFF interview where he talks about his idea for the screenplay, but he references his relationship with his grandfather, which really inspired this film. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm just telling me if you love this film and you want to kind of get behind the scenes of it, just seek out, um, really the man who could feel no pain, like interviews, they're just fun to watch. They have such chemistry, even when they're being interviewed and they're joking around with each other. It's a lot. It's a blast. There's Actually, a, I wanted to go back. Josh, yeah. um, Josh mentioned, um, Mr. Dasani's mother who was big and, you know, she's a big, uh, Indian, uh, cinema star. I, I just think it's so romantic to hear a little bit about her background. Apparently, uh, I, I I wish I had the name, I, and I, even if I tried to pronounce the name, I wouldn't be able to do it. Josh, do you know his mother's oh, name? Bajeshree. Bajeshree is is his mother. So I guess from what I've read, she had done like maybe one or two films, became a huge star. Then she met her husband, and um, I think I think this is so romantic. She was sort of like, I'm not going to share the screen with another male unless it's my husband. And so then he ended up being in in the three other pictures because she refused to, you know, do like leading man scenes with any other man or whatever. But I just thought that was so romantic. And then they have, you know, uh, a son who then has this great movie and hopefully he's going to have more. Um, I just thought that was such a, it's a cute story. It's wonderful <laughs> and romantic. <laughs> so there's, there's a n couple of other characters or actors I want to talk about. So uh, Mahesh uh, Manrekar, did I say that right? Even close. Sounds, sounds right enough for me. Okay. He plays the grandfather, um, <laughs> yeah. Ajoba. So this, this person, he's an actor, director, writer, has an amazing filmography, but I'd recognized him before. Um, Slumdog Millionaire. Slumdog Millionaire, yeah. He's yeah, in there. So, yep. yep. But more importantly, he's he's in another film that I that I discovered, uh, I think it was a little after Doom 2, but it was uh, Dabang from 2010, which you got to check that one out. It it is a uh, if if you like um, Brad Saho, you'll you'll love the bong. Um, okay. And I think he was in one of the the Singham uh, sequel Singham Returns, and I, I remember him from that. But he was also in Saho, which we talked about last week as well. 
Um, oh, yes. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And, and the other two, I want to give it a shout out to because uh, I, I feel like when they're on screen, they just steal the movie. But um, as young Surya is Sartaj Kakar and as young Sapri, Riva Aurora. Those two kid actors are freaking fantastic. I don't know if they're doing more stuff, but they could probably own the world at this point. They're so good. <laughs> yeah, those those two actors. And uh, like I said, I was watching it for the first time with my wife uh, a couple of hours ago. Spending so much time at the beginning of the film with them is just it's perfect. Like yes. you, it makes so much sense uh, to spend time with these two charming little kids who are, you know, they're great actors. They're doing exactly what they need to do to make these characters feel like real people so that when you get into all the, you know, the ass kicking, you understand the stakes between these two characters, you know, that they have this relationship that goes back 20 years. Um, and, and those kids really sell it. They're just so good. Yeah. I, we're going to, we're going to do a deep dive onto that one because I think that's, uh, that's one of the, I don't know, Trump cards this movie has in terms of charm are those two kids. Real quick about production development. So I'm sure you know a lot of stories, Josh. I'm just going to pull a couple of things that I found. Um, and please add to it because I know you've spent a lot of time with everybody who made this film. But the story goes that um, Bala said in early 2016, a friend had told him about a dentist whose patient did not ask for anesthesia. And this triggered the idea for the film. Because the premise of the film is, you know, a, a boy is, is basically... Um, born or at some point, I don't know if he gets it from the accident, but I, I think they describe it as being born this way, but he, he can't feel any pain whatsoever. Um, and uh, Bala says he then saw several documentaries and blended it with his childhood stories about martial arts. Is that pretty close to what he's talked to you about the inspiration of the film? Yeah. And it is, it is a congenital uh, uh, condition that, as they, they mentioned in the film very early on, so it's not a spoiler, very early on that uh, children with this condition don't typically survive past a very young age because they're not able to understand the severity of their injuries or complain about things when they don't feel right. And so, you know, they'll hurt themselves and not realize how serious it is. And then that leads to complications. Yeah. Which is why the, the grandfather sort of stepping in and as we'll go through a little bit later on, sort of teaching him how to live as a person in the world is so important to him. Right. Uh, it, you're absolutely right. And, and I can't wait to talk about that aspect of the relationship too, because it, it really adds so many levels to this film. The other thing we kind of hinted at this or really kind of outright talked about it was all the actors, not, not just uh Supreme, but everybody went through extensive martial arts training um, approximately eight to nine months, even before they started filming this. So when you see people kicking other people in the face, it's these people. So um, it, it, that that's pretty important because I think that adds a lot of authenticity to the action sequences. Um, and especially as many slow motion shots as they get, you're, you're not seeing CGI. You're seeing people fly through the air knees to face. And, and that's the actors and actresses. Was, was there any other interesting stories that you heard about Josh in terms of the making of the film? Um, no, like I said, I, I mostly came on once it was, uh, at least being aware of it once it was finished. Uh, but 
I think what you're what you're saying is is very important to note because we talked last week or you talked last week about how uh, finding Commando was a, a big revelation for you, um, and the the lead actor in that film, uh, Vidit Jamwal, is incredibly talented, um, and he's kind of become a a sort of Tony Jaw character in India, where he he has this sort of breakout role in Commando, like Tony Jaw had in Ongbak, and then later on in order to capitalize the producers of his films have sort of misunderstood why people loved him, you know? And so Tony Jaa later on ended up doing, you know, all this ridiculous wire work. And like, that's not why people go to see Tony Jaa films. They don't want to see him being CGI or, or, you know, strung up with wires. That's not the whole thing. And so Vidya Jamwal from Commando was doing all very similar stuff that to what Tony Jaa was doing, except Vidya Jamal is like built like he's a big dude and yes. he's still doing those same sort of stunts like jumping you know through the barbed wire hoop like Tony Jaw does he does it through a car window like it's the same sort of stuff but this a bigger guy and they started doing all this other stuff um with him and so I think uh I feel like uh you know Abi uh, Dasani is sort of the, the next person in that lineage you know like you said being trained as a performer, as a martial artist, as that kind of stunt performer to, to have the potential to carry on that lineage with, you know, perhaps more charm, um, you know, a, a, a better screen presence. Yes. Perhaps than, than, than Jamal has. Um, and that's very, very important uh, because in India, there have been a couple of people who have tried to take what, what Jamal did uh, like Tiger Shroff, who I'm, I'm not a fan of that's people have yelled at me about but Tiger Shroff is another <laughs> another sort of scion who is uh, the son of a, a very famous Hollywood actor, and he's been in a lot of very big action films, but he's just not very good. He's kind of dead in the eyes. Um, and if there's anything that Abi is not, it's that. Abi is very charismatic and very charming throughout the film. Yeah, I... Yeah. I would I would say this between Abi and um, Radika, I will watch anything that they're in from here on out. Um, and as much as I think Abi is is like one of the best action heroes I've seen in a long time, I want to see a whole film series uh, with Radika just doing like remaking all the Moon Lee films, all the Angel Force films from Hong Kong stuff like that. I, I would watch all that. She's I think she is as good as Abby in all of the choreography. Um, and it, there's a reason why those two connect real For quick. Sure. Yeah. Real quick before we get into sharing our thoughts on the film, this did win awards. And I think we talked about this a little bit, Josh beforehand. So at the 2018 Toronto international film festival, it won the people's choice award for midnight madness. Right. And so Vasan yeah. Bala received that. For the 26 Screen Awards, it was up for Best Supporting Actor. So um, Gushan Devaya, who plays uh, Karate Manny and Jimmy, had won that one. And for the 65th Filmfare Awards, it was nominated for Best Male Debut, Best Actress, Best Supporting Actor, Best Film, Best Story, Best Background Score, Best Cinematography, Best Action, and Best Special Effects. Out of all of those, it won best male debut for Abby. Uh, and and I want to. So Brad had mentioned this last week. There's a film critic uh, that is quoted on Wikipedia, a um, Jay Hurtado of Screen Anarchy wrote, "In this boisterous action comedy, 
Bala's passions and obsessions are writ large across the screen with a genuine affection that is hard to deny. He later included it in his list of 14 favorite Indian films of 2018. So the question I have for you, Josh, this made the top 14. Was it number one or was there was there a different number one? There was a different number one. Um, there's a film called Ima Yao. That's a, what was my number one film. It's a very different sort of film, but this would have been pretty close to the top. Um, they're, they're both great films. Uh, and this one is certainly a very, very different film than Ima Yao, which is a sort of very black comedy. But... You know, I it's it's one of one of the films that I, I feel like really deserves rediscovery. Um, it's not even been that long since it released or, you know, it released on on Netflix in 2019, mid 2019. And um, as we mentioned last week when we were doing the podcast, I think it it fell into a hole largely because it's not available under its English title. Like you can't search for the English title in on Netflix and find the film. And so that makes it not inaccessible, but there puts up another barrier to people who might stumble upon it. No, that that's totally true. Yeah. Um, well, I let's, let's get to talk about this film. We get, we got through all of the technical stuff. Uh, Jose, I want to start with you since this was your first Indian film. So I'm really curious, not just about your experience with this film, but with your experience about, um, I, I guess it's a genre of filmmaking, but what are your initial thoughts on the man who could feel no pain? Um, well, actually, I, I mean, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Um, I, I mean, I would also encourage, you know, anyone listening to this to also listen to the last week's episode because Josh did a really good like breakdown of, of Indian cinema. And, you know, for me, you know, I just had heard the term Bollywood, which apparently is just like the Northern film industry. There's so much more. There's like the Telugu language and then Tamil, um, all those other things that Josh explained. A tweet um, wrong about that and hundreds of people will tell you. Yeah, <laughs> they'll let you know. Yeah. Indeed. Um, and just the, just again, I'm sort of like kicking myself because, you know, the, my sort of guest spot on the, on this episode was a last minute thing, but even just trying to research and look into things there, I mean, it's just the tip of the iceberg. There's just so much to dive into. I had absolutely, after watching this, I had no idea like where to start. So my, unfortunately, my impressions of, of Bollywood and Indian cinema are from uh, there's, a, there was a movie called Bride and Prejudice, um, which I think was an actual Bollywood movie that, happened to get distributed because it had some American stars in it. Although Martin Henderson's Australian, so not really, but, and then there was a movie called the guru. I don't know if anybody saw that. Um, but those were the movies where I was like, Oh, well, Bollywood, maybe that might be something, you know, entertaining to watch, but I had never actually sought out any of those movies, even though I'd come across them on Netflix. Um, so my assumption about, watching this would be that there would be musical numbers. Um, and I mean, there was music, there was singing, but there were not like dance numbers like I was expecting. Not that it was disappointing that there were no dance numbers, um, but watching this and the sort of intense action and the amazing action and the great story, it reminded me of how um, 
John Woo said that like a lot of his cinematic influences are musicals. And then you're kind of like, wait a minute, John Woo, like the double guns and like, you know, bullets flying and, you know, all of that stuff, musicals. Um, but there's a rhythm to action and things like that. And so when I was watching this, I was kind of like, oh, okay, well, it's what I thought Bollywood would be just not dancing. It's fighting. And, uh, it was great. I lo- I absolutely loved it. Um, uh, you know, I had also heard, as we mentioned on the last, uh, as you guys mentioned on the last episode, that these films can be three hours or more. And as Josh had mentioned, they start, that's sort of dying down. It's more like two hours and 20 minutes. Um, I did not expect the injection of, of like a second hero, as Josh had mentioned that, you know, Jimmy, um, uh, or wait, is it, Karate Manny. Manny. I'm sorry. Yeah. Manny. Yeah. Karate Manny. Um, when they started into his backstory and his creation, I was like, oh, my God, it's like a, it's like a completely <laughs> different movie. Right. But then it all ties together with that great ending where it's just like a blitz of action and it was absolutely wonderful. I, I, too, until I realized it was a fake beard and wig on on Manny, I was like, it is the same actor. And uh, my husband, um, Scooter, was like, it's not the same actor. And I'm like, it, it is. And he's like, the leg. And I'm like, oh, come on. Even <laughs> <laughs> CGI the leg out or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, but yeah, it was. Uh, it, it does was he know really Gary great. Sinise? Does he know that Gary Sinise has his legs too? <laughs> Forrest Gump was not a documentary. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. He he knows. He knows. Okay. Don't remind him of this when you see him again. Um, but <laughs> um, but I really did like the kids, as you had mentioned before. I mean, they were just ab- the absolutely adorable. They they drew you in, and I think the great thing about Abby's acting is that, you know, you see the child in him because, you know, he hardly ever let him out of the house. So he's like socially awkward. He's daydreaming in the midst of, you know, uh, uh, Supri, like beating these people up. He's like daydreaming about stuff because, you know, he's still a child and he really brought out that sort of innocence. And then he just kicked everybody's ass and it was amazing. (laughs) But um, so after I watched this, I, I sought out two movies which were on like Netflix and prime. So the, the first one I watched was um, I'm, I'm going to, I hope to pronounce this. Uh, Diwali Dulhani Lijayanj, also commonly known as DDLJ. Um, it's from 1995. And that was what I was expecting when I turned on. I mean, I knew there's going to be martial arts, but DDLJ was what I was expecting a Masala Bollywood movie to be. And it was three hours, but I fell in love with it. There's two amazing dance numbers in there that just blew my mind. Uh, there's a gentleman in that Shah, Shah Rukh Khan. Shah Rukh apparently means face of God. And uh, the other lead, Kajol, she's just absolutely gorgeous. But there were also two other actors in there. Amrish Puri, who you all... I mean, U.S. audiences know as Mola Ram from Indiana Jones. And there's a gentleman named Anupam Kerr, who I knew him as Dr. Kapoor on the NBC's New Amsterdam, but I had no idea he had over 437 uh, Indian cinema credits to, to his filmography. And I was just like, oh, my God, why, why haven't I been watching his stuff instead of stupid hospital drama on, you know, on TV? <laughs> um, and that was directed by a 
Aditya Chopra, who is the son of Yash Raj Chopra, who founded the Yash Raj uh, Film Studios, which is a a big player, I think, in the in the Hindi films. So the thing about DDJL is DDLJ is that it played for an astounding six hundred weeks in theaters. That's like over eleven years that it stayed in theaters. Like people love this, and I absolutely see why. I like I fell in love with it. I was like humming the songs for a day or two. Um, and then the other movie that I saw is the movie that the grandmother, I'm sorry, is the movie that his mother is watching in the beginning of this film. Um, so that's 1992's Ajka Gundaraj, which I think is like Goon Raj or something like that. Um, but it, it's the movie that you see that they're watching in the theater with the crazy like dance number. Uh, it's a challenge and dance number. I it, think. It's a challenge. Oh my God. I, I think I watched that dance scene like five times. It is absolutely brilliant. The main star is a man named um, Shiranjeevi, I think. And what I was a little surprised, and Josh, you talked about this a little bit before, is he's a, a Telugu star um, from Tollywood. Is it? It's Tollywood, right? Yes. Okay. He's he was uh, he's a Tollywood star, but this film Gundaraj is a Hindi film, and it's actually a remake of a Telugu movie that uh, Shiranjivi starred in the exact same one. And they just brought him over to, uh, to do this one. And it's kind of like, it, it's weird. It's a nice midway between the masala and then the mix of masala and like a parallel film. Cause it has a, an underworld crime sort of element to it. It's like a revenge picture as well. Um, and so I was kind of like at, I don't know. I think those two movies would be great entry points for your listeners in terms of, you know, a Masala film, a Masala parallel film, and then stepping up to, you know, Marco, uh, Marco Dard, uh, Nohin Hota as, you know, the new sort of version of, of, of that kind of film. So, but that was my deep dive and I'm anxious to watch more. So hopefully, I don't know, maybe Josh, you can recommend some other more films for me <laughs> to check out, but. Well, yeah, I think I, I think I mentioned DDLJ last week in the podcast at some point about mm-hmm. it being one of the very first movies to really take into account the uh, the NRI, the non-resident Indian audience, and the sort of global popularity of Indian films uh, back in yeah. 1995. Uh, and it is superb. Shah Khan is one of my favorite actors. He hasn't been in anything in a few years, but he's always entertaining, even in movies mm-hmm. that aren't. Um, and that was one of his big breakout roles. Like you said, Amrish Puri played Mullah Ram, also is, has like a 30-year history of just playing villains in, in Hindi films, um, in, in some very famous Hindi films, uh, as well as that role. Um, you have, like you said, Anupam Kerr, who we showed a film at Fantastic Fest in 2016 called Kalnayak um, that, that featured Anupam Kerr in, in the film uh, alongside the other actors. And we actually had, uh, just by coincidence, we were we were at the film festival and uh, Kumail Nanjiani was there. Um, and he mentioned that we we just sort of were chatting at the bar at the, at the film festival. And he mentioned that Kalnayak was one of his favorite films. Um, and so we had him coming out and talk about seeing that film when he was a child in Pakistan. And then ended up casting uh, Anupam Kerr as his father in his movie that he made like the same year. Yeah. Um, 
so I mean, he and he played that, you know, uh, the role in uh, in in TV, like you said, and and those those are really great. I, I really really want to talk about uh, Chiranjeevi and uh, and how that connects with Vasambala's uh, life, like how because uh, Vasan is he he is ethnically Tamil, uh, which is a South Indian uh, ethnicity. Um, but he was raised in this sort of enclave in, in Mumbai called Matunga, which is where the film takes place. Um, and which is a sort of Tamil enclave inside of Mumbai. It's, Mumbai is a city of immigrants. Uh, it's, it's, you know, over 25 million people. Uh, a lot of them are immigrants from other part of the country because it is the financial center of the, of the country. And so it presents potentially more opportunity, but ends up having a lot of people that just live in squalor or or live in in lower income areas and so he grew up in matunga in in there but he also had that sort of tamil uh lineage to to look back on the south indian uh not only personal history but also film history and so films like uh, ashka gundaraj um that were bringing those south indian stars to the hindi film uh, industry in the 80s that was actually a pretty common thing. They were trying to like, they recognized that these stars were big draws in other parts of the country. And then they were incorporated into Hindi films in order to try and spread the audience. Kind of like we've talked about another in, in, in Sahu last week where they were bringing in Hindi film stars and Tamil film stars to make more uh, connections with other parts of the country. Um, another, and another film, and Chiranjeevi is probably the biggest star in the world that no one knows about because uh, for years and years and years and decades, and uh, you know, I have tried uh, desperately over the last few years to try and you know just even watch his movies because they're they're not available, they're unsubtitled. I have DVDs and I don't understand the language, and so it's very difficult. And over the last few years, a few of them have showed up here and there on places like Amazon Prime mostly. Um, and, you know, he is a hero to tens of millions of people, but outside of that industry, it's not even like someone like Shah Rukh Khan who's a big star globally. Um, he's unknown because of the fact that his films are, are unavailable. And then one of the things that happens in the film also very early on is, you know, young Surya, uh, as he's sort of, cloistered in his home by his parents uh, by his father and then his his grandfather is fed a constant diet of action films you know you know you see him watching big trouble in little china you see him watching game of death which comes back a lot later the bruce lee film but also one of the jim things the, yeah jim Cotta. <laughs> one of the things that's, you know that classic jim Cotta. <laughs> hey you know it, no it's, I, a, it's a, an underappreciated art form um, yes. <laughs> Uh, but one of the films that ends up that he watches, but also ends up being sort of a clarion call for him later in the film is Garaftar, which means arrest him. Or, you know, that's what he he shouts from the rooftop uh, a couple of times throughout the film. And Garaftar, uh, it's not mentioned specifically in the in the movie. You don't see him watching the film. You just see him put the VHS tape in the player. But Garaftar was a film from the 1980s that featured... It was, a, it was three major stars. It was Amitabh Bachchan, who was like the biggest star in Indian film history. Um, and then it also featured Chiranjeevi, who is, is in that film. And then also Rajnikanth, who is a big, the biggest Tamil film star of the time. So it is the, the three biggest movie stars in the country 
in that film. And that sort of goes back to Vasan's youth, like trying to connect his, his Tamil lineage with his Hindi, uh, his Hindi language reality at the time uh, growing up in the eighties. Yeah. That that's painted all over this thing. You can definitely tell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Brad, definitely I, check I, out he, at one point where he's walking down the street and this, this gave me a huge smile because I'm a big Rajnikanth fan. I've done, yeah. you know, visual essays for aero films on, on Rajnikanth. I have a whole collection of, of collectibles here, you know, that I've, every time I go to India, I come back with some sort of Rajnikanth tchotchke um, <laughs> that when he is, walking down the street right before that fight with with riding madan uh when they're trying to save the girl from mm-hmm. the uh the the men who are going to abduct her he's he finds the uh the flyers pasted yeah. on the walls for the hundred man fight and as he's doing that one of the shots is him looking at the wall but then there's a giant piece of graffiti on the wall or not it's not really graffiti it's a painting but there's a like a two-story tall painting of rajnikanth from the 80s uh which again would not have been necessarily a Hindi film thing, but that's again, Vasan putting his youth into the film. That's so cool. Love it. And I was just going to say that uh, Charanjeevi in that movie, he is, I mean, he's like Jackie Chan meets like Michael Jackson and Shabadoo from Breakin. I mean, he can, he can, <laughs> My like, God. you laugh, Troy, you laugh, Troy, but it is, you have to see this movie. I mean, the way he moves his body, more men should move their bodies like this. I mean, it's, he's, he's, he's actually credited as being the person who brought break dancing to India in his films. Like his whoa. choreography is legendary. And when we did, I did a, a, an Indian film retrospective back in 2016 at Fantastic Fest. And we we show at the Alamo Draft House. If you've ever been to a dra- Alamo Draft House, you know they do pre shows before the screenings of mm-hmm. you know thematically similar films to what you're going to be watching. And I I was like, hey, you guys, let me just send you hundreds of hours of footage of Chiranjeevi dancing because it's amazing. <laughs> like that's he's 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 absolutely fantastic. Yeah, um, I'm an so, instant yeah, fan. Was, <laughs> yeah, no, I I, I could watch Chiranjeevi dance to anything, and I have for hours hours on it. <laughs> it makes me so happy jose that you're you're just like diving headfirst into this so I, i'm excited um brad okay you and i have texted on this yep H- how many times you watch it this week uh about two and a half okay yeah i, I got three times in um <laughs> <laughs> but i gotta know what your thoughts on obviously i, I think you, you take, like it a little you bit drink gatorade in between get hydrated oh man right. i wish yeah <laughs> anyway um gotta keep those fluids in yeah yeah exactly <laughs> Uh, so last week, you know, we watched Saho and it's like a ridiculous action movie. I mean, it's not like a face off, but it is like a ridiculous sort of deal. Like when you compare it to something and then this, like we come in and like, it's like this charming coming of age story about a kid who like loves action movies. And you're like, wow, like that's me, like in this movie. And, you know, he imagines he's going to do all this stuff and he does and, I was immediately blown away by just performances and action sequences and just, you know, the characters and the relationships, like there's so many complex relationships going on in this movie. There's the, you know, the, the daughter and the grandmother, and then there's the stepfather's son or the, I'm sorry, the, the, the son, the father, and then the father-in-law grandpa care and then that dynamic and there's like so much going on and so much discovery of self and all this like 
great stuff. But like at the end of the day, like this movie is entertaining as hell. Like it, it, it's two hours and 20 minutes. And I was kind of disappointed that I like didn't get to spend more time with these people. I was like, I, I just want to be in this universe. I want to be with these characters. I want to see what they do next. Um, I, man, I, I was thinking about it. I was like in really kind of disappointed in myself and kind of like Jose that I haven't really gone down this path before because the first two movies I've seen, they're totally two different films. Like they're had zero in common, but they're both ridiculous and fun and unique. Like, I think that's what I've liked about this adventure so far is the uniqueness of these movies. Um, and, you know, everyone in this movie is like stunning to look at, uh, but they're also charming and uh, like, Abby, like the, the camera loves that dude. And like, I'm like, I just want to see this guy too. Um, and uh, yeah, man, I was completely impressed. I watched it on Thursday and then I immediately had to do some stuff. Work on Friday was kind of a joke. And I just started kind of throwing it back on and watching it. And I texted you that picture and like you immediately <laughs> turned back and you're like, yeah, I'm doing the exact same thing. Um, I could not get enough of this movie. Um, like if, if I wanted to I'd be like, I'm just going to watch it again right now. And I would sit there and, and love every second of it. I think this is one of the, like those films that we've done where I, I want people to go out and, and see it. We had, you know, Love and Monsters was one, Brigsby Bear was one, and now it's this one. Like those yes. are our big three that I yes. just want people to go and watch. Like watch these movies, why give this movie a chance. Um, you know, the dialogue doesn't I mean, read subtitles. Like we I I'm <laughs> I'm, I'm 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 tired of this, like I can't read subtitles and watch a movie at the same time. Yes, you can. You can. Um, you don't miss any of the action. And I, I, I love like Supreme's like not a damsel in distress. Like so there's this part where you, she comes into the scene and you're like, uh Oh, this is going to be bad. And then all of a sudden she starts kicking ass. And you're like, okay, I am totally down for this movie because this chick is just going to kick ass and it's going to be awesome. And it is. And she holds her own. And um, yeah, man. And, and of course, like it pulls at our heartstrings, right? Cause it's talking about big trouble, in little China. It's talking about Bruce Lee. It's talking about Jackie Chan. There's a Jim Cotter reference. I mean, there's like so much stuff in here that it like if you're a fan of those movies, it's kind of playing right into your wheelhouse, but it doesn't feel cheap. It doesn't feel like, oh, there's nothing behind this movie except for references. Like, no, this movie has charm and it, it man, I I loved every second of this movie. And I think like, I don't know. I, again, I, I'm I'm mad at myself in a way because <laughs> I haven't seen this movie. I could have been seeing this movie for the last three years and I haven't. And I, I wish I could kind of go back and, and tell myself, no, don't be an idiot. Don't be afraid of the dancing. Don't be afraid of the music. Um, I mean, the the music in this movie just ba- it's their banger after it's banger. So I listened, good. Yeah. I listened to it while I was running the other day and then I looked down and like my slow ass is going way too fast. I need to slow down. <laughs> this music's got me pumped. So yeah, man, it is. Uh, I'm glad you picked this one. Cause I, I, I will, I will watch this movie for the rest of my life. That's amazing. So Josh back 2018, I, you're the reason why I found this film. So I owe you so much gratitude for that. Uh, just on that review alone, but 
you wrote an amazing review on it. You got me so hyped when you talked about um, all the layers, not not just how great of a martial arts film it was, but how deep and intricate of a story it was. But you sat down to watch it again. Did did you come away with anything new or did it just solidify some of your original opinions? Um, I don't know that I came up with anything new. I, watching it with, I watched it with my wife who had not seen it before. Um, and so that was, that was sort of enlightening because we were, you know, and one of the things that I like watching, I, I, if I can, I always watch a film that I'm going to write about with her or, or with my son, like, because I like to have, you know, I have my own thoughts, but I like to, you know, at least usually on the drive home from the theater, I'll talk about it. If I'm, if I know I'm writing about it, I want to talk some of my thoughts out and like that helps me form where my, where my review is going or wherever. So I can, I can actually get that done. And then with her being able to, to talk about, you know, the, the Supriya character more and, you know, being more aware of how the character is developed and, and portrayed uh, by Radhika, you know, things that I wouldn't necessarily have picked up on, you know, as just a dude watching an action movie, uh, you know, she, for the, for pretty much the entire film is she's not wearing makeup, makeup, like she's wearing, you know, stage makeup so that she doesn't look like a ghost on the screen, but she's not, you know, all made up like you would see in a typical film of this nature. She's not, um, you know, she's wearing comfortable clothes when she does all of this fighting, she's in like sweatpants and, you know, tank tops or even the very first time that we see her, she's wearing a sort of a, a breezy summer summer dress, you know, and like some bike shorts. So it never feels like it's, you know, they're they've dressed this woman up to do this sort of crazy stuff. She she doesn't have to smile all the time. Like it's there's a lot of little things that you don't necessarily see if you're looking at a film from only your own perspective, because we all have something that we bring to it, you know. And the, one of the things that she brought to that was an appreciation for this particular character and how she's portrayed. And I thought that was, that's very helpful for me uh, it, always. And it's something that if I had seen it with her in the first place, probably would have made it into my review four years ago. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's, it's just so charming. The whole movie is just so charming. And, you know, the action is, is just so great. And even I, I've known the beats cause I've seen it, you know, three or four times. It's never not entertaining, which is, you know, that's something that sometimes you see a film and you really love it that one time, but you're like, I don't really need to see that again. I saw it. It was great that once, but I'm cool now, you know, and this is not one of those. It, it definitely could, as Brad said, you know, I could put it on anytime and still be happy with it. I, I watched it with my son, actually, and we, we felt the same way. And it, it was at that U.S. premiere screening when we had Vasan and Abi there and my son, like, was super excited afterwards and wanted to get, we got a picture of him with Abby like at the after party. And I was oh. just like the coolest thing that my kid wanted to get a picture with this guy. So jealous. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it was, it's, it was just so much fun. And also we, we didn't talk about this beforehand, um, but the, we talked about the behind this behind the uh, camera talent. It is kind of a family affair because the editor is Vasan's wife. Uh, Pernice Segal is, is Vasan's wife. Oh, that's right. Uh, she, she, they had just had a baby about this time too, right? Yeah. Yeah. Saiba. Saiba, she's very cute. I was there actually at the, this is, it was a very busy year, but I was at the Mumbai film festival when it had its, its India premiere. And, uh, Prerna was there with, with her daughter, like 
teeny tiny baby, like at the, at the screening. And it was just like, it was so adorable watching this whole family get to do all this stuff because they work separately a lot. Like Perna probably works more than he does because as an editor, there's more demand for technical jobs than there is for a screenwriter. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was just like, I was just so happy to see all of them like come together on this project and, and actually make something so great. And seeing it with an Indian audience in Mumbai, where it's based, and having that sort of reaction, because I had only seen it from my couch, you know, on a screener, it was just, it was so wonderful to have that sort of, like, they know what everything is about. Like, they understand this neighborhood in Mumbai and that neighborhood in Mumbai and this little weird quirk that I'm, I kind of get, but I don't really get. Um, And so that was just the most wonderful experience. Yeah. I'm so jealous of you. I have have a question. Yeah, shoot. (laughs) Why'd you put up four fingers? Do you have four questions? (laughs) I have four questions now. I'm here. Uh, um, I mean, Josh, if if you know this, um, so one of the things that obviously the the other movies that I had spoken about, the um, sort of Indian culture, um, the patriarchal society, the place of women, and their sort of role in society. Those came up in those other movies. Um, I couldn't help but sort of feel that with the um, Supreme character, because in a way, I mean, you know, there's no arranged marriage or anything like that, but she still is sort of in that, you know, I don't know what I want to do. Everybody knows what they want to do. There's a set path for me. And in a way, her mother sort of reinforces that because her, her mother's kind of like, well, you know, we owe a duty to the boy that paid our hospital bill and he's going to take me to Canada, take me to Canada or what have you to, for the treatment. And uh, that just sort of felt like, you know, a commentary on um, on uh, Indian society and, and women like in general, I guess. Um and I, it, it occurred to me that maybe that was a reason why it sort of maybe bombed, like maybe Indian society at large didn't want to see women like kicking ass or, you know, being unsure about their future and, you know, forging their own path. Um, do you know if there was any sort of controversy like that or is or it wasn't? I, I don't know. I don't think in this particular case, honestly, probably the film wasn't big enough to generate much controversy at all. Uh, it didn't <laughs> yeah. make enough money to, to make that kind of impression. Although those things are fairly common themes uh, throughout uh, Indian films from all over the country. The, 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 the place of women in India is, is changing by the minute uh, at this point. Like they're, they're moving toward... Uh, toward growth, but it's still not a hundred percent there. As far as women specifically as action stars, there's not, there aren't uh, these days, a whole lot of them. There were something, uh, you know, in the seventies and eighties, and even a little bit in the nineties, there were some uh, female action stars, but they were never, ever, ever on the same level as the men doing the same thing. So it's not like we had like India hasn't really had its, you know, atomic blonde or its, you know, Mad Max Fury Road. There's not been a, a significant uh, film that has really made that kind of impression over there at this point. There are films that have tried. Um, you know, this is one, albeit on, on a smaller scale. There was one uh, a few years ago called uh, Akira um, that had a uh, one of one of my favorite actresses. 
um, as sort of an action, you know, revenge thing. And unfortunately, the movie was terrible. And so it doesn't really do anybody any favors. You know, if you want to do this, you know, have this this new angle, but then you make a terrible version of it, it doesn't really help. Um, and so, you know, a lot of films these days still are are based in the reality in India that women occupy a lower place in the social structure than men do. Um, a lot of films deal with, uh, you know, arranged marriages, which are still very much a thing. Um, I have friends that have gone through the process in the last few months. Um, yep. And it's not, and you know, for us over here, it seems like, you know, slavery at this point, kind of, you know, it seems like such an archaic idea. But it seems to work for some folks. And so I'm not one to, you know, 100% thrown under the under the bus. But it seems like such an odd idea here. You know, even um, there's a film right now that came out on Netflix not too long ago, like in the last few weeks, called Badaido, which is a, a film that's about uh, a gay man and a lesbian who marry, uh, you know, to be each other's beards, basically, and then, you know, trying to find their way out of that. Um, to be their own their own people, and so a lot of those things are current events and and current uh, uh, issues that are being dealt with, you know, in the popular culture uh, every day over there. And so it's 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 not that unusual uh, that a film like this would would talk about the woman who is, you know, still trying to find her place in the world and also trying to fight against the patriarchy there, which is more intense than it is here. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for that. Thank you. Well, I, I'm going to share my two cents and this is where the hyperbole kicks in. Okay. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I love I, hyperbolic Troy. Yay. Yes. So I, I love the eighties and nineties Hong Kong film. I mean, it's, I talk about it all the time, right? So it's my favorite, uh, outside of like a really good Gene Kelly movie. But I know these films aren't really deep. I mean, I've, I've spent, uh, since it was Jackie Chan's birthday on April 7th, I've d watched nothing but Jackie Chan movies. Um, but every once in a while, you get one that tackles one theme or has some slight social comment commentary. It's rare. Uh, Jose, you picked, you know, John Woo. I, I think there is some substance to the John Woo films about brotherhood, et cetera, but it doesn't go too far deep beyond that, right? Um, and Drunken Master 2, I, I mean, let's face it. My two favorite films of all time, Drunken Master 2, Singing in the Rain. It's like a tie for first place. Um, and I love Drunken Master 2, not just because of the amazing choreography, but also the relationship between Jackie's character and his stepmother, played by Anita Mui, and his father, played by T. Long, which, little trivia, um, they were all at the same age, I think, when they filmed Drunken Master 2, which I find kind of funny. Now, Die Hard. It's probably top five movie for me of all time. And I think it's definitely one of the greatest action movies ever made. Great I, Christmas movie. Whatever you want to call it. I think it's just <laughs> one of the best action films of all time. One of the best films of all fight, time. Fight, fight. Yeah. Um, hey, great reference in this movie about Die Hard too. There is an amazing oh reference. God. Yeah. I laughed at that so hard. It was great. And what's, yeah. what sets Die Hard apart is the connection between the characters, especially, you know, John McClane and his wife and Al Powell and John McClane and Al Powell's backstory, et cetera. 
So action movies are a blast when they're thrilling and stuff blows up. And it's really exciting when people are like kicking each other in the face. The truly great action movies are the ones that make you understand why the characters are fighting and really have something at risk personally. I think you talked about this, Josh, like why there's so much set up in the beginning of this film. And when this happens, it makes you feel every punch, every explosion, um, and every face kick because you care about all the characters on a personal level. I think Bala understood this and crafted one of the best action films I've seen in a long, long, long time. Um, this movie has heart. It tackles several, not just one, but several deep themes. And you as a viewer are really invested in how this is all going to play out because you care about the characters first and foremost, you feel this movie. And that's the best compliment I think you can give to any film. It makes you feel something. And, and it really comes down to the performances. And I want to talk about the performances specifically and start, start with Abi as, as Surya. So we've already said this like several times, that guy oozes charisma and he makes every kick uh, and punch look so effortless. I mean, it's just visually impressive. He just has this fluid motion to every fight sequence that you just don't see with most martial arts performances. And he handles the drama and the comedy with zero effort. I mean, he is that character through and through. Um, It helps that he's a boxer dropper. I mean, when he takes his shirt off at the end, I was like, whew, yeah, it's it's, it's warm in here, right? The guy looks great. You said it, Brad. Camera loves him, right? Um, I love, I love him, <laughs> but I, I mean, I don't know what you guys think. And maybe I'm just overblown on this, but he is really the heart and soul of this film. And I can't imagine any other living, breathing artist right now playing that role. Surya other than Abi, he's so good in it. I, I agree. I think it's, it, it's helpful to have a newcomer in that role because he has no baggage. He doesn't have to lead up to any sort of other stereotype or any other performance that he's, he's had before. Um, he is, he's, he's lithe, which also works for the character. He's not like some gym rat. You can tell he's, 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 uh, very, uh, his motion, like you said, is very fluid. Um, I honestly am still I'm still waiting for him to make another film like this because I want to see him in action again. He, he's he's not his last film. He he made a film again. Netflix has bought a lot of Indian independence and he's he's in an independent film on, on Netflix now. But it's a romance that I'm like, OK, cool. That's probably fine. But I want to watch him kick somebody in the face a few more times. Um, and it's it's just he's so great in this role. Like it's it's made for him, you know. All right. I agree. And we should also sing another um, little verse of praise for the kid who plays Surya. I mean, he, he pretty much steals the scene. Um, every scene he's in, I get goosebumps when he runs into that video store and starts shouting at that clerk. Give me all the action movies you have. <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. it's so awesome. And I love him reenacting all the action films. You you said it. he's got that. I, I have a machine gun. Ho, 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 die hard. <laughs> I mean, it's so fantastic. Great. And him learning ouch probably has one of the best movie payoffs at the end of the film. I mean, it's cute and it, and it really plays into the beginning of the film, but man, what a payoff at the end. Uh, and then that also leads to Supri. So after one film that I've seen her in, 
um, Radhika. I, I put her in the Moon Lee, Michelle Yeoh, Yukari Yoshima, every, Cynthia Rothrock. I feel as much as Abby is, is in this film and does an amazing job, he gives equal time to Supri's character, and she is just amazing. I, I think she's fantastic. Her introduction when they're kids is fantastic. And again, there's a great payoff line that happens there when uh, Surya says, use your hands next time. It comes up at the end of the film. It, it, mm-hmm. We'll talk about the screenplay here in a minute. Uh, but this this is the type of female and heroine that you want to see in all your action films. She just commands every minute of screen time that she's on there. Um, she's tough, but ma- she has so much depth. That sequence, and you talked about this, Jose, when she is talking with her mother and walking along the street, it's so touching. She doesn't know what she wants to do with her life, the complexities of the sacrifice she's trying to make for her family. I mean, wow, what a scene. It, it just, it really starts to, um, to get to you because it's so authentic. Um, but I, I mean, between her acting and her skills as a martial artist, uh, I, I just wanted to have her own action franchise at this point. I mean, she's a blast to watch and I think she could just carry the film and as good as those two are, <laughs> and I, I hate saying this, nobody can, can touch, uh, Gulshan, uh, Devaya as karate, Manny and Jimmy. The fact that I, I don't care who you are, when you watch this film, if, if somebody didn't tell you, I told my son and my wife, I'm like, I just learned that that's the same guy in those two roles. And my son's reaction is like, shut the front door. No way. I'm like, yeah, there <laughs> there's the same actor playing two different roles. I mean, I had no idea, even with the, the mullet haircut and the beard and everything else, it's the mannerisms. It's how they talk. It's how they carry themselves. Um, hands down. So Brad, if we were having like our bombies award and mm-hmm. we were saying, Oh, what's the best actor of the year? It it's, uh, it's cool, Sean. I mean, he wins just for those two roles. <laughs> I mean, it, it's fantastic. He nails just both performances, which just shows this guy's range. Um, and I love Jimmy's commercial. Did you guys pay attention to Jimmy's commercial? Oh, so great. Oh, yeah. I have the best boxers from Vietnam. Like, it's <laughs> so dead, dead in the face. It's so amazing. Yeah, he's just sitting there. There's yeah. all these graphics behind him. He's like, uh, my fighter, they move like a cat. They listen like a dog. They pull like a bull. They think like a fox and they attack like a tiger. And he says it with just this deadpan. Like, he's yeah. so bored. Um, but as that's playing in the background, Karate Manny is having an argument with Jimmy over the phone that whole scene is surreal um, and it's so much funny and karate Manny. And I, I would just, I would love to sit down one evening and, and talk to Vasan and go, let's just go through all your movie references. Um, because karate Manny, I, I have to assume that karate Manny is the old master from the Jackie Chan film dragon's fist, because at the end it has an old uh, master who has one leg and is kicking everybody's butt at the end. But Karate Manny is like a thousand times better. Um, but I, I, that's what is so amazing about this. Um, and the, the other Dude, thing, I, when they when they duct tape his one leg, oh jeez, I, I was up. like, okay, okay, <laughs> that that is the best. That is, and he like looks at, he's like, okay, who did it? Yeah, who did it? Like, oh god, <laughs> oh my god. And and here's the other thing about all the performances, like all all three of them. <clears throat> um, I had thought, I, I just assumed. 
like as fluid as they come out, I'm like, there's got to be some improvised lines here because there's a lot of pop, pop culture references and stuff, but they just come out so quick. Come to find out in an interview, everybody stayed on script. There's little to no improvisation in this film, which shocks me. So that tells you two things. One, that tells you how good the acting is. I mean, it's next level acting. Secondly, it tells you how good the script is and everything feels natural, which I think takes us to the script. And the first thing I want to kind of talk about is all of the pop culture references in this film and how organic it feels like it doesn't feel forced. Um, what did you guys think about that? I was surprised that there were so many because I just, you know, I mean, I, I knew that Indian cinema would sometimes remake some of our like action hits or what have you. But I wasn't ready for the level of the pop culture references. I was, yeah, I was a little surprised by it, but you are right. It feels very, very organic. It doesn't feel very forced. Um, yeah, that's great. Yeah. I, I, so I almost, I was getting a little anxious cause I was like, are we going to go down? Like be be kind rewind territory where they're like, start to remake these movies and stuff. And it doesn't get like that. And, and thankfully so like that, that movie's like be kind rewind. It, it's two in your face. Um, this oh, is I like much it. more. I know you did. You love everything. Uh, that's why I love you, Jose. You're always half full. Um, but you know, this doesn't go down that road. It's, it's much more subtle, but it's again, it's a t-shirt that says I have a machine gun. Ho ho ho. It's this, it's like, there's just so much stuff in here that if you get the reference, great. Awesome. It's a reference. If you don't, it's still funny. Like he has a shirt that says I have a machine gun. Ho ho ho. Like if you don't know this from Die Hard, it's still funny. So you know, I, I think that's for me, like it's, it works on so many levels, but it never gets to like that pandering level, which is, is nice. Well, and like I said, the, the, the pop culture references in the film specifically are aimed at the Indian audience who grew up with those films, but then also have the ability to draw from, you know, Gerofdar, which he shouts from the rooftops a couple of times, which we talked about earlier. Um, you know, the Chiranjeevi, the, the, the Rajnikanth painting on the side of the wall, like a lot of those things all do connect back to, to his youth and the youth of a lot of Indian kids in the 80s. You know, because as we mentioned, as I mentioned last week, uh, you know, Indian film fan culture is incredibly deep and it's very intense. And so just like you know, a lot of us were going to video stores with our parents in the 80s and 90s and grabbing whatever they would let us get, you know, and then eventually I had my own car and I could sneak out and rent whatever I wanted, you know, and that was just like, what's the limit? How many can I get at one time? I'll get five at one time. Okay, I'm going to watch all of these and I'll come back tomorrow and do it again. Um, so would, and it's would, a, a kid, it's, would a kid in 1986 have gone in like an Indian kid gone and the video store and rented big trouble in little China in 1986. Like it would have been there. It would have been there. I mean, yeah. And uh, well, I mean, some of those would have been bootlegs too, because that was a big, okay. a big part of the culture over there as well. Um, you know, having spoken with a lot of the, a lot of the filmmakers over there, uh, that was, you know, Mumbai, in case you don't know, like geographically where it is, it's a port city, like it's on the Arabian sea. And so it is where a lot of the imports would come into. So it's like a New York city, essentially. Yeah, essentially. Uh, and it's it's where it's where the Western world met India is in Mumbai. And so that would be 
you know, a place where they would be able to get a lot of those things. And, and having, having gone over there uh, to the West coast of India, where, where Mumbai is and, and other cities on large cities on that coast, like there are still to this day, not as many, but there are still to this day, like massive sort of uh, like bootleg carts that are out in, in open air markets and things where you can just go find whatever, like anything you want to find is going to be there. Um, I was talking earlier today with, with, a, with someone in India about how they went to, you know, even big blockbusters to this day, you can go and find, you know, cam, cam versions, you know, cam bootlegs, uh, on online and in person. When I first started watching Indian films here in the U S in theaters, uh, I would go to a local Indian grocer who was, there were a grocer and there were also video rentals. So I would like, I don't rent at this point. Like I was like, just sell it to me. I'll buy it. Like they were like five bucks. I'm like, how bad can it be for five bucks? And I would just buy stacks and stacks of movies. And so I would go there. And if I went there on a Saturday, like in the afternoon, there would be, you know, burned DVDs of the Friday night opening movies sitting there on the table. If I wanted <laughs> two bucks, you know, and that was, that wasn't that long ago. Yeah. And so the the culture is just so rabid they all want to see these films in you know uh, as soon as possible and as often as possible that him going into the movie going into the vhs or the video store and wanting all the action films is not that far-fetched you know so i I found an article online by gail sakura called every pop culture reference in vasambala's marco dard nahiota there's like over 65 70 film references in this thing (laughs) So yeah. Th- yeah, just to, we've talked about some of these. So the, the movies that Surya watches, um, secret rivals, return of street fighter, big trouble, in little China, the crow, Jim 36 chambers, Shaolin came of death mm-hmm. movie posters that pop up, um, city hunter, Jackie Chan, protector, <laughs> Jackie Chan, bad taste, seven samurai, Rambo, Rocky. Uh, there's a Terminator reference. I, I love that you get an unreliable yeah, yeah. narrative. Um, <laughs> and that pops up. You get the drunken master uh, reference when he talks about his backpack, you know, um, eternal sunshine. There's two reference, technically speaking. That's oh, yeah, there's two. Um, There's the eternal sunshine of spotless mind reference um, from a shot where uh, Surya and Karate Manny are lying on the ground outside of the uh, country liquor bar is a reference to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, THX 1138 shows up. Yeah, that was fun. In this one. Um, Kick ass. Jimmy refers to Sapri yeah. as Hit Girl, right? Oh, hit Girl, okay, yeah. yeah. Surya's, Surya's father calls himself the uh, Jatin Stark, um, and you even get like a little <laughs> indie Avenger um, yeah. on there too. Now, Brad, did you catch the two Quentin Tarantino references? I didn't. So, Kill Bill. Uh, I didn't see that one listed. I did see Jimmy sipping his drink from a plastic cup is a callback to Jules drinking from the big kahuna burger. Okay, the Sprite? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This one, I don't know why I didn't think. I, this was smack right in the face. When Surya's father eventually remarries, his new wife, Nandini, introduces herself as Bridget von Hammerschmark. Mm-hmm. Diane Kruger's character in Quentin Tarantino's oh, Inglorious Bastards. Yeah, okay. And now I feel real stupid for not getting that. Yeah. 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 Um, but th- that's what I love about this film. When you can go back and there's like another 30 references to um, Indian culture, you know, television, et cetera. But um, Longstreet, 
uh, Surya's maroon track shoot and uh, uh, track suit and blue shoes reference the clothes worn by Bruce Lee in the TV series. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It, it's I just find this film so amazing that you can kind of sit back and look at all of these references, but they come out so effortlessly. I mean, I think Jimmy tells you know, okay, Bill and Ted, go out and do your thing. Um, mm-hmm. So there, there's all these little. I don't know jabs in there that are that are I will say that some of those some of those are translation things. And so a lot of times when they have these films uh in India and it probably happens in other countries as well, but in in India specifically when they when they do translations for subtitles for Netflix or for international audiences, they will take cultural references that make sense in India and try to make them make sense in other cultures. Mhm. And so it may not be necessarily the people that they're putting in the subtitles that they're actually talking about. It may be Indian, similar Indian versions of that versions of the same thing. So it's not always the case, but a lot of times it's the case. They're trying to make it accessible for international audiences that way. Okay. Um, I will. I do want to actually, before we jump off of this, Gail is an excellent writer and she is very much in tune with the kind of things that, that we like. Um, and so if you are interested at all in sort of genre films or Indian genre films or how they connect to the Western world, Gail is a very, very excellent writer. And she is frequently putting up uh, posts on on Film Companion, which is one of the biggest uh, film criticism and, and film news sites in India that do just this kind of thing that talk about uh, films that might be of interest to, to people who, who are listening. Yeah, if you, if you can find that article that she wrote about this, it is fascinating. I, I I got like another seven movies that I need to find just from the references that they're talking about, which you've already mentioned some of these, Josh, that are in there. Um, but I also want to point out this this film, the script is not just here's a bunch of martial arts film references no. and, and we've got a story. This thing, I was so surprised how deep it is. And when I talked about the themes that it covers – I mean, it's talking and it's dealing about sons dealing with their father's expectations, right? Surya and Karate Manny are struggling with that. Um, it tackles abusive relationships, which was was striking, right? Um, loyalty to the family comes up quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, and, and also, there is a little bit of a debate, even though slight, about the effect movies have on one's view of the world. Is it healthy or inspirational? I don't know if you guys picked up on any other themes, but I mean, when I took a step back, I think what got me so invested is these themes were coming out and they were at the, you know, crux of every plot or story and what everybody was dealing with, you know, over that two and a half hour runtime. Yeah. I mean, the father gets his own story arc in this movie where he remarries, you know, there's a part where he's talking to his father-in-law about whether or not he's a good father. Yeah. there's like emotional weight to this conversation, you know, cause he's trying to do the best for his son um, because he does have this condition and he wants to protect him and his mother was killed and all this stuff. And, and it, it, it has a lot of weight. And then there's like a, a, a story beat about a locket and it's really not about the locket. It's about the mission to get the locket back and what that means. Like it, it it's yeah. It, it, there's like these, plots and subplots that all kind of come together into this cohesive story that, you know, it's, it's hard to kind of push it over because you're like, no, I, this, this part here and this part here, it all sort of comes together. And, you know, karate Manny like comes in in the second act and has this huge, like 
part of the story. You're like, well, why are we following this guy now? And then it all comes together. And you're like, wow. Like when they put out this screenplay and put it together, they didn't just want to, to make a movie about a guy who couldn't feel pain. Like they had a lot of ideas and, and somehow they put it together in a two hour and 20 minute film. And it's man, it's pretty damn well perfect. If you ask me. Yeah, I don't. I, I wish that they had subtitled uh, some of the on-screen text because uh, uh, there are certain points in the film where they are uh, doing like the like text messaging between characters that's not subtitled, at least in the Netflix version of yeah, it. Yeah, my yeah. my Blu-ray had it. Netflix. Yeah, it, yeah. So it, it's not there on the Netflix version, but my my Hindi is very minimal. But I was able to pick out a couple of things. So specifically, when they are uh, when. Uh, when Supri and her husband and and mother are about to fly to Canada, they're they're trying to talk. Her mother is trying to talk her out of leaving, which is not a hundred percent clear uh, through the dialogue. It's kind of there. They she talks about you know I'll just I'll get on the plane. I'll tell you tell them you were in the bathroom, and then you know I'll take a bunch of insulin when I get there uh, in order to put them. You know they'll put me in the hospital. They'll take care of me or whatever once I get to Canada. But in the their texting each other while they're sitting next to each other so they can't uh be heard that's why she knocks the phone out of his hand and the coffee spills everywhere yeah she tells and her to text, run right yeah the text message says run like yeah. it it's it's it says bog 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 is run and so she texts it grandma her mother texts it in all caps um and so that's that's one thing that i think kind of slips by if you're watching it on netflix it's it's a lot more clear what her mother's position is in the film through those texts. Yeah, Cause see, is. I thought that was her choice to leave right then and there. It turns out. Yeah. Okay. I, yeah that, that's yeah. a good point, Josh, because she texts her mom and says, Oh, you should, you should be like writing for soap operas or something. Yeah. And then, the yeah. And she's like, you need to get out of here. And then she finally just is like, run and get leave now. Um, but her, her, I, I love that whole relationship between Supreme and her mother, where she just basically says, um, I, I am built this way, or I came up in this environment. This is what I am. You have a choice not to go through this when she's trying to kind of explain why she made these choices, et cetera. But yeah, I, uh, I, I, <laughs> I love everything, um, that it kind of brings up thematically. Jose, you were going to, you were going to mention something. Yeah, I was, um, okay. I hope I'm going to be able to explain this well, and I'm probably not going to, um, but without, so this film does something that I'm going to call like, like, like visual and thematic symmetry. Right. Um, and it's something that I think Matt Reeves tried to do in the Batman, but my criticism about the way that that was done in Batman without spoiling it is that it was too on the nose, at least for me. Um, and again, I won't spoil it because I know I don't think Brad's seen it, and, and maybe some listeners haven't seen the Batman yet. Believe it or not, there are people out there who haven't seen it yet, <laughs> um, which is fine. Um, but what I liked about the screenplay was that again, there's a visual and sort of a thematic symmetry, right? So you've got the the two kids who suffer some sort of loss that changes their lives, that connects them. You have um Abby's character who looks up to the one-legged, you know, hundred man Kumite. And at the end of the film, he sort of becomes his 
his hero by being hurt with his one leg and having to fight with just the one leg. Um, and then, you know, the mother dies because of the, the quote unquote chain stealers, the muggers and, you know, Manny and the Jimmy conflict is sort of over a chain. It's over a locket, but there's this symbolism about how taking something as simple as like jewelry, like who, who cares about jewelry, right? I mean, it's just you, whatever. It has some sentimental value, but you just buy another necklace, right? But they use that as, as sort of a vehicle for these emotional life-changing events for people. And you're right. It's not just about the necklace, you know, it's about he lost his mother when they tried to mug her for that. Or it's about, you know, uh, Jimmy not liking the fact that Manny was this golden boy in his father's eyes. And so, you know, he never got that respect from his father. So the way he was going to take it out on Manny was to steal something from him and rough him up every time he showed up at his dojo or whatever. Um, so I, I love that even if you don't see it right away, you feel it and you, and you, you visually see those connections. And so with that, look back on the Batman and they were doing certain things like that. And it just was way too much on the nose. And I was like, I, I don't like this. I agree. I can't, I can't get down with this. That is but, a great yeah. analogy. Um, yeah. We got to talk about the action. I mean, we spent a lot of time on, you know, the uh, performances, the script, the direct. I, listen, this is how you combine slow motion photography with brilliant choreographed action. The slow motion is used in just the right spots and it creates these eye popping visuals. They're gorgeous, right? And it enhances the action sequences. And I got, I got to say, I love the sequence when Surya and Supri meet again in the alley and uh, she's taken on the kidnappers. It's great choreography, but it's filmed exactly like a Gene Kelly dance sequence and it matches the music playing. I, I absolutely love it. And and I don't know about you guys, but the, the last 45 minutes of this film is really focused on the action. Uh, oh, boy. Um, do, does it deliver? When he gets that red jumpsuit and the blue mask on uh, and, and somebody refers to him as the Indie Avenger, there is so much face kicking for like 45 minutes. I'm, I'm in heaven. And my, my favorite shot of the entire film comes at the end. Um, it's all four of them lined up in the rain in this slow motion pan it is straight out of the wild bunch it's beyond cool um but i, I don't know what you guys want to want to say about the action but I, I just i fell in love with it i mean um eric dennis pratik they they put together some amazing sequences in this thing no i i was gonna say like even after last week for where we were talking about how the third act of that movie just brought it to a whole other level and this is the same thing. So second week in a row, we're, we're doing an indie movie an Indian movie. And it's like the third act is like, Oh, the payoff was worth that whole buildup of the characters and all that. Like nailing the third act is really hard. And, and this one, like not only is the third act great, it's the best part of the movie. So I, you know, yeah, I, I agree with you. Like the, the action, you know, sometimes the, the slow-mo, you think, oh, it's going to be like Zack Snyder-y. It's going to be way over the top, way too much. This, it's like, no, it enhances. Every time they do it, it looks so freaking cool. Um, and they'll do the thing where they they slow down and then they kind of speed up and then they slow down again. And it just, it makes everything seem so cool. But they're like, I, I don't know. They could have overcranked some stuff too. But like the speed in which they're doing this stuff is so quick and it, it's it's... 
Yeah, man. For people who like watching people get their face kicked in, this movie has a lot of it. Yeah. But the image is so the image is so clean too with the with the slow motion. Like I I'd love to know what camera they use because I know the Phantom Flex is usually really good at that like 4K slow. I mean, when he's like twisting in the air, I mean, you oh, can see individual yes. hairs on his head moving. Like it's it's fantastic. Yeah, and they're not they're not face swapping in this movie. That's no, him doing everything. No, that's yeah. that's really them. And uh I also like it when I don't have a problem when women are like superhuman and they like kill everybody, whatever. It's fine. It's great. But I do like it when the women fight realistically. And so her with her battle scarf and using their weight against them and all of that, I'm like, that's, that's exactly how a smart woman fighter would be with other men or bigger opponents. So yeah. Yeah. Cause I they show battle. her stats at one point in time is like, she weighs 110 pounds. So she's not going <laughs> to overpower these men, but she can use their weight against them. Um, well, yeah, yeah, I want a battle scarf, and I love the I love the stats at the end, almost like it was a video game. You know, I, I got to yeah. know, Josh. Did did everybody like lose their mind in the theater um, during that last sequence? They did. Yeah, there were a lot of points where where like real local stuff, real local stuff where people lost their minds. But the action was always uh, really, really great, and it's it's unusual because films like this, like I like I mentioned earlier, these are not established film stars and so they don't have that sort of cult of personality that a lot of Indian film stars do like Chiranjeevi or like Rajnikanth who we talked about earlier um, but you know it 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 helped that it was you know seeing it with a hometown audience and you know Vasan is kind of a, a, a hometown hero uh, and the there's there's been a lot of talk you know forever about the way nepotism works in the Indian film industry and how a lot of these uh, stars are parts of famous film families, you know, uh, Adi being one of them. Um, but it's always really gratifying to see a, uh, an actor like this actually put in the work and doing, you know, yeah, he, his mother was very famous, but he is really incredibly solid in this film. Um, and I don't, I don't feel like it, it doesn't feel like a, that kind of, you know, uh, nepotism that we need to be necessarily concerned about, you know, it, yeah. it, it's, it's, it's so, he's just so good in the role. Yeah. Maybe he got moved up to the front of the line because of his mother, yeah. but then he killed it and you're like, okay, like he, he did a great job. So I don't really care how he got it because he got it. Yeah. And you mentioned earlier that he, his, his, his road to this particular performance came as you know being a, an assistant director at ad on other films and that's very frequently how these uh how these film families do work is they start they start their kids off if they want to be in the industry they'll start them off in those sort of support roles and crew roles before putting them on screen so i mean they at least know the business yeah i he, everybody in this film, I mean, you can tell that they put in the training, um, they put in the time to make the action sequences move. Uh, and I, I generally am not a huge, you know, loving the 80s and 90s Hong Kong film. You're always looking for that one take, the beats. I mean, Jackie Chan is, is always talking about the beats within the choreography and, and you want to hit that just right. This one, it hits the beats and then it takes a pause to kind of show you what's going on in slow motion. 
but visually it's it's just so eye popping. I mean, especially there there's another example of a sequence where you see him flying through the air. He's about ready to kick somebody in the face. And as the camera's panning in slow motion, you see her like kneeing somebody in the face while the rain is coming down. It is beautiful. It's just, it is a beautiful display of violence. I'm, I hate saying that, but it is. And it's so much fun because at that point you are just absolutely cheering because, you know, you have now spent two hours with these people and they are down to the final showdown. And uh, I, I I can't believe how they end this in terms of the final showdown. I was not expecting that whatsoever um, with uh, really... Um, uh, Surya and the samurai that was fantastic mm. and and that sound effect that they use without spoiling it mm. oh my god <laughs> is crazy uh but i i just yeah i love everything about the the last 45 minutes the only other things um i had on my notes the soundtrack i think we've all talked about this um do we all own the soundtrack now uh yes yes okay i do <laughs> I, I don't i'll need to get it jose get on that um the, the Robin and robbie rap is amazing yeah, <laughs> yeah. shaolin sky is pretty banger too yeah the the rap and robbie rap what i want what i love that song and i think i know why i love that song like i i have an affection for black belt jones um, and the theme music to Black Bell Jones by Dennis Coffey and uh, I think it's Lucha de Jesus. It, it just has this funk and groove to it. And as soon as you hear it, it's it's like in your head, right? Black Bell Jones. When you hear rapping, rappy rap, you're like, I, I cannot stop listening to that song. It's so good. But I love the soundtrack to this thing. Um, and the movie poster. I've spent all week trying to find that movie poster that has all of them with the VHS in the covers. Apparently Indian movie posters are kind of hard to find, but I got to tell you, it has that same vibe as big trouble in little China. If you've ever seen the original mm-hmm. movie poster for that, but Oh my God, that's on my bucket list now is to track down somebody who has the original movie poster of this thing. Cause that is a glorious poster. Um, and we talked about the trailer last week, the advertising and it's probably one of the best trailers I've seen for a film in a long time. Um, but what other notes do you guys have, Brad, do you have anything else? No, I just have one of my other favorite scenes of this movie is when he's kind of fighting off the doctors without fighting them kind of like, I always love a, like a fight scene where someone's trying not to fight, but to protect somebody and see how they do it. Because to my mind, like that's harder than actually choreographing an actual fight is to like not fight in a way. Um, and they do it really well in this one. And, you know, you get this moment where someone's about to step in front of a, a, a guy on a motorcycle and he pulls him back and you're like, you know, obviously he's a good guy too, but you know, he's trying to help Manny as well. And so I always, I always love those scenes in movies where they're like trying to not fight, but fight at the same time. Yeah. Manny's back there with the orange squeezing it. Yeah. And, and, and I, I will say there were some, there was quite a few times in this movie where I laughed out loud quite a bit. The, the duct tape thing, I will, every time I see this movie, uh, I will laugh. Yeah. Like a hard belly laugh at that. So <laughs> the comedy in this is also plays really, really well. So, yeah. How about you, Jose? Any, any other notes? I think we covered everything actually. Okay. <laughs> Josh, how about you? I, I loved having this conversation with you guys. It's, it's, one of my favorite films of the last few years and it it really does deserve uh 
reappraisal discovery, you know, uh, an audience an appreciative audience will, will really enjoy this. And I think it was criminally robbed of that, um, in, in a lot of ways by circumstances completely out of the control of the filmmakers. And so hopefully we can, uh, we can shove it into more, into some more people's eyeballs. That's, that's the goal. I agree. It's insane that you cannot search the man who feels no pain on, in, on Netflix and it not come up. How, how does that happen? How does that happen? Who knows? I don't know. That's that. So you can find the Blu-ray by that on eBay, mm-hmm. dddhouse.com. Yes. Asia, everybody, I guess all your Asian websites, if you get like physical media there, if you search the, the man who feels no pain, you'll find the Blu-ray for it. And it goes anywhere from like 15, 20 bucks. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's not expensive. yeah, not at all. It's been out there for a little bit. Um, Okay, well, I think I think it's time for the question, Jose. I'm going to start with you. Uh, we just got done talking about um, the criminally underseen, the man who feels no pain from 2018. Is it a bomb? No, it is not a bomb. It is a bona fide hit. <laughs> I love it. I love that summary. All right, Brad, what, what's your take on this one? Absolutely not. This is one of my favorite. I won't say just action films. One of my favorite films that I've seen in the last five to 10 years. It blew me away. Awesome. I, I Oh God, I'm so happy about that. Two for two on Indian films. So I'm not stopping. <laughs> there you go. All right, Josh. Uh, I'm coming for you, Josh. I'm going to, I'm taking your mantle. <laughs> I think I know where you're going to lie just based on your original review on this, but uh, is the man who feels no pain a bomb? It is absolutely not a bomb. It is a wonderful time uh, wherever you see it on your couch, you know, watch it however you can all right well there's a there's a line in this film and it says behind every mind-blowing story are some pretty bad decisions i love that line it's it it comes up a couple of times i think behind every mind-blowing film is a pretty amazing director a rock solid script and performances that look organic and natural and this movie has all of that stuff so if, if you like movies, not action movies, if you like movies, you have to see this film. Like Brad said, I think it's one of the best films I've seen in the last 10 years. I'll just put it out there. If you're an action movie junkie like us, you have to see this film more than anybody else. Uh, and and I don't know you know, if, if Abhi Vasan, if any of them will ever come across like our comments on this thing, but... I would just say 100% get out there and make another film ASAP, like get the crew back together. It doesn't have to be the man who feels no pain too. although how they left this. I would love to spend more time oh, in this universe. Yeah. God, 100%. Um, yep. But I, I know we get a lot of feedback. Um, Brad, you kind of talked about it. We, if anything, um, we've had a bunch of people come up to us and say, Hey, thank you for introducing like love and monsters. We've got a lot of people write in and talk about Brigsby Bear. Um, I think this is better than either of those two. This is my favorite out of those three. And if and I know what we're talking about on the show probably in the next like two or three months, and I can't think of a better film than this. If, if we were having our award show now, <laughs> this would take home all of the awards in terms of best film um, of the year. But I cannot stress enough that everybody it's on Netflix. You just got to look for it by the Indian title and, uh, it'll be the if best you type in Mard. If you type in Mard, it, the rest of it comes up, you'll, it's going to be, be fine, but you cannot type in the man who feels so pain. It is asinine that you can't. Yeah. Uh, but it's going to be the best two hours and 20 minutes you've spent in a long time, man. 
I'm just telling you, you have to see this film. Uh, we got a little bit of feedback, Brad. Um, one of them is a question, but I'm going I'm to start f- uh, with this piece from Jason. Um, he's one of the hosts over at the Mixtape Podcast. He said, guys, we're enjoying the show. It's a lot of fun, and we appreciate the shout outs. Keep doing what you're doing. I wanted to bring this up because Jason and the Mixtape Podcast crew have been having an awesome release schedule lately. They did an interview with Lloyd Kaufman. You need to go listen to that. It is a blast. Um, they did an interview with Stuart Pankin, uh, which is a lot of fun. Th- their their podcast is very unique in that they don't just do movies, but they'll do pop culture, music. I mean, they have a couple of segments on just inappropriate song lyrics. Um, I'm a little bit behind on episodes, but I just got done listening to the Dirt Bike Kid. They, they did a review of that. And there's a segment when they talk about Conrad Bain doing Bane from Batman. And I was in tears. I had to like stop mowing my lawn for a second because I was laughing so hard. Um, but please go listen to the mixtape podcast. Uh, and I, we got some interesting feedback from Philip. It's another kind of good question too. Um, so this is, this is good for Jose. This is good from Jose Josh too. I'm kind of curious about this. Um, this is from Philip. I've been watching some older DVDs and some have been pretty nostalgic from the blockbuster days of the 90s. One of the trends at the time were these kind of sexy thriller type movies in the vein of Basic Instinct or Fatal Attraction. Many of these similar ones at the time were deservedly bombs and ripoffs, but there were a few that had some talent behind and in front of the camera, some that had an original idea that may have been halfway executed correctly. So some examples are Never Talk to Strangers, Consenting Adults, The Tie That Binds, In the Cut, The Temp, Love Crimes, and The Color of Night. It'd be interesting to hear you, your guys' take on this era of films that often get overlooked and sometimes for good reason. So, Jose, yeah. this sounds right up your alley, man. What, what do you think about this genre of film that came out in the 90s? I think we talked a little I bit about this yeah, with uh, Showgirls. Showgirls. Yeah, we talked yeah. about this. Yeah. yeah. Uh, because Jade is one of those as well. Yeah, I was going to say, for all those movies you get, and then you get stuff like Jade. (laughs) Like Jade. All those Joe Esterhaus movies from the 90s. Yeah. Yeah. You think this will ever make a comeback? uh, You know what? I hope so. uh, (laughs) I love a good erotic thriller. We need a good erotic thriller. Although, uh, isn't uh, Deep Water supposed to be in that vein, even directed by Adrian Lyne? I haven't had a chance to watch it yet. It's the Ben Affleck, Anna de Armas. Oh, that's right. On Hulu? Hulu movie. but um, that, yeah. It's supposed to be in that vein. But like, hey, wasn't Stuart Pankin, Michael Douglas's lawyer in Fatal Attraction? Oh, I <laughs> think. Was, I believe. I think yeah. so, yeah. Yeah, I think so. But anyway, um, no, I love that genre. I think... I think you guys should do Color of Night because that is one bonkers movie that would. Uh, that was you guys really would. controversial when it came out too, right? Well, because because there was a lot of sex in it, and Bruce did full well full frontal nudity. I'll explain that more if you guys bring me on for the for the podcast. But but it was also a wacky wacky story. It's yeah. I just remember it being being. Um, wacky is a good description and it, yeah. it had some giallo-esque elements to it is which, that jane Hitchcock, march yeah jane march, jane march okay. yeah. richard richard rush i think wrote yeah. and directed it he also did stunt the stunt man which is practically brilliant color of night not so much okay <laughs> what about you josh i mean you you dabble into that era of filmmaking 
Oh, absolutely. That's when I was in high school. And so, again, going to Blockbuster <laughs> on my own once I got a car, there were so many of them on, you know, Disclosure and, uh, you know, all of those uh, Malice, a lot of those films. Oh, and Nicole Kidman. Malice was That's amazing. Good, yeah. Jade and all those Joe Esterhaus movies from the from the time uh, in Decent Proposal, all of those films were in constant rotation. Uh, I probably ruined several tapes before they got back <laughs> to the rental place um, through rewinding and pausing probably more than I should have uh, when I was 14 and 15. But uh, yeah, I, I Wild Things, Wild Things is getting a, another mm. release. Oh, that's it right. Is. Yes. 4K. Video 4K. Very soon. Um, yeah, no, I... I would love, I think the, the, the culture and the, is very hesitant to jump back into that uh, style of film right now, just because of uh, we're realizing some of the cost that came with making films like that back in the day. Mm-hmm. And uh, maybe with the implementation recently of like something like intimacy cult- consultants, like they're having on films these days where they're trying to make, filming stuff like that that actually people do really want to see but they don't want the consequences or to have the 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 sort of uh, implications on their own conscience of what it took to film those things um will maybe put those things in a better light you know one of the things that i that really bummed me out um part of uh the the whole harvey weinstein fallout was uh the the realization or the the revelation that Salma Hayek was talking about when she filmed Frida. And, you know, if you've seen Frida, there's a very, it, it makes no sense that there's this like weird lesbian sex scene in the film, in the middle of the film. It makes no sense. And she talked about it in, in an interview when they were, when Harvey, before he went to jail, when a lot of the accusations were, were finally coming to light, that it was just something Harvey wanted to see. And now I can't watch Frida anymore because yeah. like, I know what I know why that's there and it just bums me out. Like it's 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 tantamount to sexual assault like by proxy. It's, it's the weirdest thing. Uh and it's it's unfortunate that that is there's that taint on some of those some of those films from that time. Uh, not that that's an erotic thriller because it's not. And that's part of the reason it makes no sense. Like there's <laughs> no reason for that to be in that movie. Um but yeah, I would love to see uh some sort of resurgence of of that type of film. Huh. We we may have to get Color of Night on the show, and the four of us come back and uh, revisit that thing. Hey, <laughs> I did just watch uh, Jane March not too not too long ago in The Lover, uh, which is another really really great film that is also controversial because it's Jane March, and apparently yeah. that's all she made was controversial erotic thrillers. That's true. I, I remember watching that one, and uh, I didn't know how I felt about that, but time I think has been good to that one. Uh, yeah. It, it, yeah, these are the type of films. And Tony, I think, and, and they're both they're both absolutely gorgeous on film. Yes. Like Jane March is gorgeous. Tony Lung is just just stunning to look at the whole time. There's the whole Vietnamese vista is is just beautiful. It's it's if nothing else, it's a visual feast. Yeah, the cinematography is ridiculous in that film. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, Philip, we'll we'll actually do a little bit of research. Um, I don't know if we're going to do like a '90s uh, Cinemax month or something, but we maybe we'll pick the a, a red shoe of, diaries. See that? Yeah, Ooh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're not going that deep, but uh, no, that that'd be a fun visit. Go back to the '90s. That's what and... she said. <laughs> <laughs> Although if, if Jade makes the if Jade makes the the podcast, we have to track down the director's cut because. It is much better than this the is like, is that like the NC 17 cut or whatever? 
Um, it's a little bit more fleshed out story wise. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think you, <laughs> I think you can get. I think you can get it on like iTunes or something like that. Okay. Yeah. Oh, all right. Uh, real quick, I just want to mention a couple of podcasts. So, uh, Brad and I have been doing double duty the last few weeks, and we headed over to the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema, spent some time with um, Will and Sammy, and talked. What did we talk about, Brad? We talked about Enter the Ninja, and then we came back the next week and did Revenge of the Ninja. You and I broke their scoring system because we were uh, way too kind, but you know what? Those films are perfect, so. Yeah, we didn't we didn't play along with their they're way sure too critical. Sure, not play by anyone's rules. That's right. We ours. got our own rule. <laughs> <laughs> we ninjaed their scores their scoring system is what we did. Yep. Yep. Excellent. Uh, is there going to be a Ninja Three episode? They already Ninja did Ninja, Ninja, Ninja Three, and I oh. I wanted them to do a, do it again, do the re yeah. Ninja Three, but we'll I think, see. Maybe I think we might do American Ninja because we we oh, discovered so through good. the whole thing they haven't done like a Dudikoff film. There's no Dudikoff. Yeah, and all the episodes they've done, they, they have not. Uh, so <laughs> they haven't done the duty. <laughs> yeah, no duty. <laughs> um, we already talked about the mixtape podcast. Go check them out. Um, VHS Files podcast. Uh, another fun podcast. Go listen to them. I think the last episode they just did was, well, the last one I was listened to is April Fool's, which was a lot of fun. Um, but they've been, they've been dipping their toes into the horror genre a lot lately. Yep. Yeah. Um, and th- they're coming back on the show here pretty soon. The backlook cinema podcast is another one to check out the iron sequel. And of course, night of the living podcast is another great listen. Um, Brad, if anybody wants to send in their thoughts on the movie we talked about this week, or give us some more questions or suggestions for films we should talk about, how do they get a hold of us? Yeah, that's not a bomb pod at gmail.com. Also on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Uh, all the previous fans could, uh, tweet at us about that. It's not a Bollywood film for the next year and a half. That'd be great. So <laughs> I'm not know, making that mistake. Know. Yeah. We're dumb Americans. All Indian films are Bollywood films. That's how it happens. Okay? Hey, everybody's so, real good. I, I I love it. No, I and mean, they were very, everyone actually was. Oh very yes, nice. so nice. It's 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 the it's that same old thing when somebody gets into Hong Kong cinema or Asian cinema and they see the word W U X I A and everybody pronounces it differently. And it, that always kind of bothered me a little bit. Is somebody comes down on them and says, "Oh no, you're supposed to pronounce it this way." It's like, dude, they discovered that film. Let them let them enjoy it. So, um, and that's, that's my defense too, for getting every name that's incorrect. That's not like John Smith, dude, I'm, I'm trying, I'm trying my best. All right. I, I grew up in Kansas. You know, I, I rag <laughs> yeah. you, I, I rag on you about that. Like every time I come on, I'm like, I can't wait till he tries to pronounce oh, the name. Butcher everybody's name, but nobody can say my last <laughs> name anyway. So every time I get a phone call, it's Mr. Saver. No, nice try. <laughs> Uh, Josh, how do, how does everybody read all of your awesome stuff and where do they find you? Uh, you can find me at screen anarchy. You can also find me at the Austin Chronicle. I've got a few movies I'm covering this week from India. Uh, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at hateful Josh. You are, I'm telling you, you've been a big influence this week. You got Justin to go see RRR today. Um, Jose dipped his toes in Indian cinema because of you. So you keep up the good work, man. You're converting everybody. That's, that's the whole point. That's what I'm going for. So 
So <laughs> consider those successes. Yeah. Now, can can we have you on for other films outside of Indian cinema? Because I've had such a blast talking to you for two weeks. So it's it okay, is it okay if we just throw a couple other like American films out there? <laughs> yes, I do watch other movies. Okay, so. make it sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can't ha- wait to have you on again. It, it's been a blast. And Jose, I'm so glad uh, you went on this journey with us this week. And dude, after like a couple of days, you're like full in. Um, to Indian cinema. You, you like surprise me all the time. It was, I want more now. <laughs> I want more now. I'm hungry for more. Yeah. I will say in, in service of that and that sort of enthusiasm, you can also follow, follow me on Letterboxd at Hateful Josh. And I tag every movie I, I watch from India. So you can always, there's 450, God knows how many of them in there. So uh, there's some more recommendations in there as well. Yeah. Oh boy, I'm going to be busy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we all are. <laughs> I can't say this enough. Um, I read, I've been reading Josh's stuff for years and anytime he would run across something and especially if it was in that vein, but I mean, most movies, I think Josh and I, um, I've, I found with a lot of critics, there are very few that you go, Oh, 90% of the time you agree with the same view. I, I can't, I can't think of anything where Josh has repped pretty high for it. And I sat down and watched it and we're like, well, that was garbage. Josh is, Josh is on point, man. So when, when he says this is a 10 out of 10, this is a banger, you need to check it out. Um, so yeah, definitely, definitely read his stuff. Uh, what else? Josh, Brad? What was your score on army of dead <laughs> army of the dead? Oh God. I don't know. Two and a half. Who knows? There's oh. Some- oh, see exactly <laughs> right there. Perfect score for that. Well, speaking of, Two out of tens. Uh, next week, <laughs> we're going to do 2019's superhero film, Hellboy. Uh, Hellboy. Is it, Neil, Marshall? Neil, Neil Marshall? Neil Marshall. Uh, yeah. Hellboy. Um, That's yeah. going to be a great episode. Hayden Christian Church. Stacy. Okay, sorry. That's my <laughs> it, it will be a great episode. Uh, we actually had somebody request it. And um, our good friend Sammy saw that somebody requested it, and he's like, "Oh, I want to be on that episode." So, I, Sammy's got some thoughts on on that film. I can't wait to hear it. Uh, you've seen it, right, Brad? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yep. Okay. Yep. Yeah. It'll it'll be fun. Hey, I'm ready for a revisit. I really am. I'm going to give that thing a second chance. We'll we'll see how it goes. Godspeed. Josh is like, I'm not coming back next week. Don't even dare. (laughs) Awesome. Well, uh, again, Jose, Josh, thank you so much. I know you guys are super busy and I can't thank you enough for, you know, taking time out of your busy schedule. Folks, I don't know if you're listening to this in the morning, afternoon or evening. I hope you're having a fantastic day and catch us next week when we talk about 2019's Hellboy with our good friend, Sam. Stacy. 